What's up my fellow ambitious poker players and welcome to the Mechanics of Poker podcast in which me, Renee, aka The Wacko and Adam Carmichael deconstruct high stakes poker players, figuring out what it is about them, how they think, what they do that makes them so successful with an extra focus on the obstacles they faced and the skills they have to develop to surpass them. This podcast is brought to you by Poker Ambition. If you are ambitious about making more progress in your poker career, go over to their site, pokerambition.com and find out which service is best for you. But without further ado, let's get into today's episode. Hi there, fellow poker players. Welcome back to another episode here on the Mechanics of Poker podcast. Today, episode number five. Today, we have another high stakes cash game player on, tuning in live from the beaches in Brazil. When he is not at the beach, celebrating carnival, drinking caipirinhas while cheering on his favorite football club, Grêmio, he plays six max and heads up online cash games all the way up to 2550. He is the co-founder of the Brazilian Poker Crew. We're talking about Mateus Zinhao Carion G. Moraes. I hope I pronounced that correctly. Adam, what are you looking forward to talk with Mr. Zinhao? Well, first of all, I'm impressed with that pronunciation. I'm sure it was close. Thank you very much. Very good. And yeah, I'm excited to get this guest on today. He's had a very diverse background from MTTs to cash games to a stake and stable. He had a background in business and went to business school as well. So uh, I'm really interested to hear how he's been able to transition through the stakes as a poker player and all the shifts he's made and the, the growth he's had to do in mindset and performance to, to get to the top. So yeah, lots of topics to cover and I'm excited to see where this conversation goes. How about yourself, Rene? What are you looking forward to today? Well, for the, for the loyal followers, probably already know, usually before we have a guest on, we make them fill out some questions so we can kind of get an idea of what to talk about if there's some interesting stuff. And he was actually the first guy to have filled in a lot of things differently than the rest, I would say. He labeled himself a bit more as an exploitative player, always trying to find an edge over his opponent, likes complicated strategies. Whereas usually people that have come on the pod so far are very GTO-oriented, try to play their range well, uh, use simplified strategies. So I'm very curious to dive a little bit into his playing philosophy and also his coaching philosophy and uh, yeah, see why he chooses these kind of strategies, why he thinks this gives him a bigger edge than maybe simplifying or playing more pure GTO strategies, basically. So without further ado, uh, let's have him on. Welcome, Mateus Zinhao to the pod. Thanks, man. Uh, appreciate a lot to be part of this podcast. Uh, thank you for the invite. And let's do a great job. No worries. Or may maybe I should have should have started as they taught me in Rio. E aí, meu irmão, tudo beleza, cara? E aí, meu irmão, como é que você tá? Tudo bem? Tudo beleza, tudo beleza. For the Brazilian watchers, you know, this is how they yeah, how, yeah. how Brazilians speak when they meet up, or at least especially in uh, Rio de Janeiro, where I have uh, quite a history. Very slangy city, right? Yeah, not yeah. extra slang compared to the rest of uh, Brazil. Yeah, they're like the most the, the most ones, the ones that uh, do the slangs like the most in, in Brazil for sure. Yeah, they they really love it. Some And some people even exaggerate. They cannot 
They, they, they cannot say one sentence without slanging or swearing. They love to s slang and swear. Yeah. It's, it's... Where are you from in Brazil? I'm from the, the south, like the very south, uh, Santo Ângelo. Is it Rio Grande do Sul, one of our states? Mm -hmm. uh, but I live in Curitiba, uh, that is Paraná, that is south also, another state from, another state from the south. And I live there like uh, from my seven, seven, year, seven years old, so 90, 1997, so long time ago. I'm basically a Curitibano. Guy from Curitiba. Curitibano. Yeah. And I uh, I checked out your Instagram, a big Grêmio supporter I saw. Yeah, yeah. Grêmio is from the, this other state that I told you, that is mm -hmm. Rio Grande do Sul. And I'm a very, very big fan. Yep. Just like all the all the Brazilians, right? They love football. Yeah. I love it because it, I, I saw you do it a lot with your girlfriend or actually fiancé, I should say now, right? Yeah, exactly. It's very common in Brazil, you know? It's like... You go with your girlfriend, watch football, drink a beer. Where it's, you know, in the rest of the world, it's more like sort of a thing you go do with your friends, with your male friends, basically. Yeah. But I love it in Brazil. It's a couple thing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it is. I mean, it can be both. Uh, you, I have some friends that, like, their girlfriends, wives, they don't like that much. But it can be a, a couple thing. It can be, it can be both. I, I go sometimes with... Only friends. Sometimes I go alone. Sometimes I go with my fiance. So, yeah, we just love. Yeah, I, love I, I really stuff. like that. Yeah. So at this uh, at this podcast, uh, Mr. Mateus. By the way, I said Mateus Carion de Moraes. Correct pronunciation. Yeah, Mateus. Mateus was was uh, South accent, and Mateus is like more Rio accent and Northeast accent. So you can say Mateus. both. But yeah, I would say Mateus Carion de Moraes. Mateus. Mateus. All right, Mateus. Well, this podcast, we are generally uh, very curious how long it took for players to get to high stakes, right? It's something that's often forgotten. You see players at high stakes and you kind of assume that they were always there, but usually there's quite a road before, right? And we like to ask uh, the guests that we have on how long it took. You answered around six years, which is so far what I've seen quite normal, maybe even a little bit on the, on the shorter side. Um we are obviously very curious to talk about this journey in this podcast. And I wanted to start it off with another common theme around poker players that we have had on, which is that they were very competitive. You mentioned sports, tennis, foot, football, football, as they say in Brazil, and games, Counter-Strike. Could, uh, could you talk a little bit about those times? Yeah, so very nice question. Um, I started very early with sports like getting in touch with sports so i started football at when i live it in rio so i live at two years there also uh when i was very young so six years old i started with football seven years old i started with tennis and i started to to appear in competitions especially in tennis uh more or less like with nine ten and my career wasn't that long but I was like always, always there uh, playing the state, comp the competitions on the state, uh, some Brazilian competitions also. And actually, I, I, I always had that in my life, like that competition. So I started with football, then I went to, to tennis. I, I, I did both like in the same, in the same time. 
And I remember that when I, when I quitted both, like with 14 years old, then I started uh, Counter-Strike stuff. Then I started music also that I didn't mention. And I think it's something a little bit different, but it have a little, not, not the competition itself, but the learning process, I think uh, it helped me a lot. So my life was always like um, changing about competition, a uh, little bit of music and like the passion of the passion of football also. So Grammy was in my life like since I I know myself. So yeah. Yeah. So when you when you basically mentioned music, you don't necessarily mean that you are very competitive, but when you do something, you're very driven to get very good at it. Yeah, I would say that, and it, it was something very curious. Uh, something that that I think it's very curious is that I work it with music, like I play it uh, in nightclubs, etc. Since 14 years old, uh, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, and then I stopped for a bit, working in another stuff, and then I got back as a manager of a band. And I remember that feeling of like missing competition, you know, I remember uh, I was like working as a manager and like, I I like it to do this work as a manager, as getting things around, uh, businessman, like getting the shows, etc. And then I was like, when I was looking at the concert, I was like, where's the competition here? Like, I, I was like thinking in my brain. And that was something that I miss it for this time. So I, I, I think like always getting in touch with this feeling like helped me in some way for, for sure. You are, uh, are you, are you a good loser? I think I can, I can answer that in both ways. Like I think yes, in the sense that I always try to look, um, try to learn something, but at the same time, mm -hmm. I don't like to lose, of course. So it can be a good one and a bad one in the same sentence. No, I have to ask that because uh, for the people who don't know, I'm married to a to a Brazilian, and when we play games and she loses, you know, I have to I have to go hide, especially if I'm the one beating her <laughs> because. Yeah. You know, Brazilians, they're quite expressive with their emotions. So if you have a sore loser, competitive yeah. Brazilian, I can imagine you smashed a lot of things along the way or you're not that expressive in losing. Yeah, no, uh, I smash it a lot uh, of stuff like my hand, mouses, <laughs> a lot of stuff okay. in my career. Yeah. Uh, when you... Um, so you, were, you said that you were a manager at a band, but you kind of missed the competitive... The competitive nature was at the same time you were playing Counter-Strike? No, no. Counter-Strike was earlier. Like, I played Counter-Strike, I think, uh, from... Started with 13 years old. Kind of the same... Kind of in the same uh, time frame that I was, like, playing football and tennis. I played both, like, for a long time. And then I kind of quit it because I was like a little bit done with that. I was a little bit burned out of doing a lot of stuff. And I started with seven. So uh, you can imagine for a kid like 12, 13 years old, I was like, I don't want to do that anymore. I just want to hang out with friends and do something that is more funny or 
and then was uh, I don't know if it happens in in all of the world, but in Brazil there was a big, big explosion of like long houses, like a lot of long houses going everywhere, and we used to go there. So I think that um, inflation for sure, like my burnout out of sports, and I just wanted to to go in, in front of computer and playing Counter Strike, etc. Then it started like Counter Strike teams, etc., and started to co to to compete also. Uh, and then it was like I played like for two or three years, like till fourteen, fifteen, and then music go went on in my life. So I always had like something, uh, something to input my my efforts in a competition way, or uh, I always had something uh, beyond like school. So to mm -hmm. to input like some some activity that was like first tennis then football then um counter strike then music then poker then music then poker <laughs> so my life was basically it and always like uh looking a lot uh, uh watching a lot sports so i'm a big sports fan also like i watch all of the sports that you can like olympic games i always watch everything so i'm a, i'm very addicted to <laughs> to to watching sports and yeah when you were referring to like sort of as a burnout, do you think sometimes, especially when you're at a young age, you know, you maybe just like, you know, you just start to play tennis or football or counter-strike because you you like it. Do you think at some point that competitiveness kind of got in the way of it became no longer fun for you because everything had to be done at a competitive level? Yeah, I think yes. Uh, I always I, I remember a very deep feeling that I had like in my seven eight nine ten eleven twelve years old that was like i was monday and monday was wednesday i went to football uh thursdays and tuesdays and thursday i went to, to tennis classes so i played both and then friday i did like one of one of each and uh weekends always some competition so i remember that the burnout came like when i was i think i was 13 yeah, 13 years old. Then I was competing at a tennis uh, smallest tournament, something like that, versus a friend of mine that I used to, to train with him. And I remember it was like December. Uh, my classes was gone. Like I, I, I was always like a good student. So I never went like, uh, I don't know how to say that. in I don't know how. Skip the classes? Yeah, yeah. I, I always like ended the the year without having to to do the, those extra stats mm -hmm. etc so i remember that i was like done with everything meeting counter strike and i just wanted to like rest and to stay in my in my home um like playing warcraft playing counter strike those games and i remember i was like playing a competition versus i remember that i won the first the first set in the tennis and i was like so done that I was like losing the second set, and I say, "Hey, man, I like to my friend. I don't want to play anymore. Like you can, you can win the game. Like you can have it. You can have it." And I and I, and I left like in the middle of it, and I said to my dad, "Like dad, I don't want to play. At least I just I just want to rest. I just want vacations." And I started to to be more like a um, computer games fan, and, and then I I quit it like soccer and, and tennis then i went like to play recreationally but never 
went to that uh, professionally anymore, you know. You you had any trouble then if you afterwards, if you play something competitive and try to re become really good, you have trouble to afterwards then just play it for fun, knowing that, you know, for example, if I, I really like to play football as well, and then sometimes when I go play, I'm like, ah, oh, I want to play more than once a week because if I play, then I can be better. And sometimes it can frustrate me. Like my head wants to do something, but then my feet, they say, uh-uh, <laughs> that the ball goes completely somewhere else. I'm like, oh, if I would play more often, you know, I could get better at this. Yeah, I definitely can relate to it with that feeling because um, um, I, I, can, I can say that it happened to me with Counter-Strike nowadays. Like, uh, my my I have a an older uh, brother that he is a doctor and he loves Counter Strike and he plays with guys that are like first like my friends you know like they are friends also but they're like my friends from the school etc and they love to play Counter Strike and they say say always say to me like hey man let's play with us let's play with us and I like stay I already stay uh, a very long time. In the front of in the front of computer, like playing poker, teaching class, and I say, like, guys, I'm not gonna play because I'm not gonna play well. I'm not gonna play competitive, and like, I don't wanna stay like more time in the front of computer. So like, forget I'm I'm forget forget about it. I'm not gonna play. So definitely, I think the both feelings, but definitely not being able to be good at it at a, at some level. Uh, it like I don't wanna play because of that. Also, you know. Yeah, it takes the enjoyment a little bit out of the game. I played, uh, I played a little bit of Counter Strike myself as well. You, but you are probably even younger generation. The the one point was it one point six they called it right Counter Strike. Yeah, 1. I, yeah, yeah, one point six. Actually, I did the, I did the, how do I say, I did the transition for. I started one point three, so one point three and one point five. Ah. And I remember the biggest transition was one point five to one point six because it changed like a lot of the. Stuff so one point three to one point five was kind of similar, but yeah, I remember one point six, one point five to one point six was a big, big change. And then you even uh, which which one came after that? Then Source? I, yeah, yeah, I think Source came. Yeah, that, that that is the one that I played quite a lot. Yeah, but I remember then I I, I later I played it again. And then, you know, you hear in the chat all this, all these like 12-year-old kids giving you headshots all the time. No fun. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Come on, I'm getting, I'm getting outplayed left and right, you know? Yeah. Just, Especially they, if, you're, if, if you like to win, then, then just yeah, sitting in just there and just getting headshots within a second. Nah, they just evolved it. so much. I remember that when I, first, when I first got in touch with that was at Long Houses. So we played as our friends, etc. And I remember in Brazil, it was like, uh, I think it was 2000. One, 2002, yeah, 2001, 2002, when I started playing, and I remember that, like, at least in Brazil, we didn't have, like, um, internet that you could, like, stay long, like, we stay nowadays, like, you gotta, uh, like, dial up internet, I don't remember, yeah, yeah. dial up, like, you, you gotta call, so the internet was very bad, so you couldn't play in your house, so we just went to long houses, so I, I remember I stayed, like, Long uh, frag nights. I don't know if you guys had had that in yeah, 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 yeah. in your country. So yeah, we just had like a lot of frag nights, and I remember that when ADSL modem get to Brazil, like 2002. I don't know, like it was a big thing. Like oh my god, now we can play like from our houses. 
then I stayed to like to play in in my home and then like this generation came after like that everyone just plays in in their houses nowadays with awesome internet etc long live uh, long live ADSL to bring yeah, us online poker <laughs> but I can definitely sure. also relate to that what what you're saying I remember I used to play a lot of video games uh, I used to play a lot of FIFA uh, mm-hmm. but then when I started to play poker, online poker professionally, you already spent so much time behind your computer. It's like when I'm when I'm done, I don't really feel like playing another game behind my computer. It's like it's yes. it's no longer relaxing for me. You know, you're already so exhausted. Also, also what you said with the coaching as well. Like everything you do is already behind your computer. You also live in a beautiful country to go outside, right? Go go visit the beach. You know, lovely exactly. weather. Even though you know when you live in the south, it can get a little bit chilly. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> But still, you know, very nice and sunny weather. Uh, I'm sure Adam uh, can also relate to, uh, I mean, you you were competitive in running, if I believe. I was. I had a similar kind of sports background where I did more sports at school. And my parents, my dad in particular, used to be a middle distance runner. So he got me into the running club at about age 11. And I was better than at that than I was at the other sports I was trying. So because I was getting a few wins, under my belt, I decided to uh, train kind of full-time middle distance running. And yeah, I competed in events around the country for about eight or 10 years up until I started poker really in 2011. So yeah, I had a sporty background, but yeah, kind of similar urge to want to compete. And yeah, my urge was always competing against myself. I liked running for that kind of kind of selfish reasons where I dictated all the variables. If I was getting better, it was up to me. Whereas team sports, my teammates could let me down and I wouldn't know if I was improving. So uh, I did like that linear progression of beating my times whilst also trying to beat the competition. So I'd like to know with you, um, when you're very competitive, you said, yeah, because you, you got drawn to competition. What is it for you about competition that you feel resonates with you? What do you get from being in competitive environments that gives you that, that feeling of being alive, that itch? What is in the competition that I like? Oh, nice. Um, well, I got to think about this one. I was uh, kind of relating with you in the sense of um, what you said about yourself and like that your teammates could like mess up with your results, etc. I I had this feeling exactly on the band that I that I told you guys like I was managing the band, finishing uh, my university, and I was thinking like, dude, like those guys are like because. Because it wasn't something like very professional, like in my in my in my band, there there was guys that had like their main work as another stuff, so I couldn't hand some stuffs. I couldn't hand, handle that. Like I couldn't uh, make that make that like the main thing for them. So it was very very hard. And I remember like I already had had uh, in contact with poker, etc. So I was already think I was thinking about something like I want to do something that is up only to me, like only my efforts, and I I don't want to like depend on any any other person, you know. So that was very very related. I know it's it, it's not related to your question, but what I like in competition, I I could say like in individual competition that only your effort, uh, it's what like it's only up to you so you're 100 percent responsible for your results unless like of course like uh short terms 
variants or especially on MTTs that you don't get like this 100% full. But what I would say to individual competitions is that uh, in competition itself, I'm really not sure. I'm really not sure. I, I think only the only the nature of it, like the nature mm-hmm. of you to to have the competition, you know, yeah. because in some in some business, in some environments, you have the competition also, but it's not like uh, the exactly the nature as a game, you know, mm-hmm. exactly the nature yeah. as, as a game. So I think just having mm-hmm. that as a nature is something I, I don't know, maybe maybe we can we can think a little bit more and see why is that. I'm not sure mm-hmm. exactly why, but I think just the nature of having something that uh, that have this competition is something that re- I really enjoy. You did yeah. actually mention you have an older brother, right? Yeah. I remember in our last uh, podcast, was it with Goose, uh, Adam? Yeah. The competitiveness also got triggered by his mm-hmm. older brother. Did you mm-hmm. maybe experience something the same, that you always wanted to beat your brother already since a young age? Hmm. I don't think so. I don't think so. Mm-hmm. He's like six years uh, older than me. He was. He's way more nerd, uh, nerd than than me. You know, like all of the games, like Street Fighter, all of the stuff. So he was always the the older one, and and I was all, always like watching him play because he was like way older than me and way better than me in, in a lot of stuff. So we kind of didn't get this competition. You know, like I remember he was mm-hmm. like. Uh, 14 and I was eight, so he was the one like he, he had like always yeah, way better. The, the gap is just too big. Yeah, yeah. I mm. didn't like compete with him too much. I remember just competing uh, together with him a lot, uh, watching him, and yeah, I, I I didn't have this competition with him a lot for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I think the nature of competition is often putting an effort towards a very specific outcome, often winning or achieving something, whether that's in a team environment where you're trying to win a football match or you're trying to uh, run faster in a race or be a, be a part of the tennis. It's I'm going to put maximum effort, my best self into this to try to get an outcome that I want. And I think that in itself, those kind of characteristics are very appealing to people who have a growth kind of mindset. They want to be challenging themselves. And I'm the same if you uh, do something that isn't competitive. Like say we don't keep score. We play tennis and there's no scorecards. I'm hitting it out every time. As soon as there's a scorecard, I'm like, right, shit rolled up. I'm getting serious. It brings out a certain character trait in me because there's a score. So like there's the effort rewarded to that. So yeah, I think it's, even though it's hard to quantify, I think for you, it sounds like the effort towards an outcome seems to resonate with your, your personality. Nice All right, man. so let's transition from your counter, uh, Counter-Strike days towards poker. So we've got this kind of competitive kids. We've got playing football and sports. We've got going into Counter-Strike in your kind of early teen years. Talk through like when you started to uh, transition out of that or was there any significant parts towards your late teen, early 20 years before you, you got into poker? Yeah, so basically my life uh, was like... Uh, I, I met poker with 15 years old and it was just a fun game, uh, meeting with the guys in, in school, etc. And I remember like my, actually I had, I had contact with my brother first in 2014, but it was very small stuff. And then we started playing like in 15, 16, 17. And I remember that 
um, I had contact with uh, guys that went professional super early, like uh, our friend in common, Rene, Vitinho, and Yuri. Uh, you guys know Yuri Zivilevsky, and he's like one of the, the best players in the world of MTTs. Uh, the nerd guy for the ones that doesn't know he's like a, he was in my band one of those bands that i played he, he played with me and i remember that he, he he's like one year one year um younger than me and then he started to to do this transition to poker like even early so i like it poker I like it to play etc and i had like some examples that was him and his older brother that is vicinho that uh we have in common and they were like uh, already professionals, like in 2018, uh, 2008, 2009, they started super early. So I always had like uh, contact with people that went full in poker. So it wasn't like another world to me, you know, like I, I had contact with poker, like 50, at 15, I remember my brother watching like Moneymaker Boom, my, my brother watching, watching on ESPN. So it was like, Okay, this is a game. This is a this is a ability game or whatever a sport, whatever you want to call. Um, so I always had this content with poker. It wasn't something like from other world, like people see today. Like even even nowadays, I say like, oh, I'm a professional poker player. Oh yes, oh you can live with that. La. Like always that that common thought. So poker was always kind of. I think to me, you know, I always knew that was an industry. I always knew that was a fair game, etc., uh, etc. Et so I had contact with that. And at my 19, in 2009, uh, like doing school, I went to law school, then uh, playing poker, music, like all of those things in my life. I I, I tried to go pro, like in in like in my 19, it, it didn't work. So it didn't work well. Um, I had to do another stuff of my life. And then I got back like with 24 years old, 25, like now I'm going to be a professional poker player. And then I, I just went through that. Don't know if I answered your question. But <laughs> Perfect. So what happened from 19 to 24, which allowed you to transition into being a professional? You failed the first time. What lessons did you learn over that five years that allowed you to be successful the second time i think just mature like like to be more more mature I, I don't know exactly why i went to i finished university i remember that in 2009 i had a ex-girlfriend that she wasn't any supportive like of course our our family like i lived with my mom um my mom and my dad they're both like militaries so they're like very safe with money, like getting a salary, etc., etc. So that was always a taboo for me, like to be entrepreneur. And and I kind of always had like the the soul of entrepreneur or of, of going like uh, I never liked this idea of like just being like super regular in something. You know, I, I always mm -hmm. had that in my mind. And when in 2009, I remember uh. I played sitting goals and MTTs, and I remember this ex-girlfriend wasn't like any supportive, like, oh, poker, what the fuck is that? Like, she was like, she hated it. And I kind of was very influenced by that. And for sure, uh, I didn't have the, like the, 
professionalism required for sure also. And I, I, I think I just had to do like normal things in life, you know, like got a regular job uh, to get uh, a degree in university to do the things that your family want to do, like your mom, your dad. My brother was like doing medicine. My my dads are um, dentists and military. So I kind of had to be part of a normal stuff first mm -hmm. to be able to do something else. Maybe it's no pressure, yeah. no pressure. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no pressure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Well, that's kind of yeah, kind it's of interesting that. sometimes you've got to please those around us tick a few boxes and almost like mm -hmm. yeah please our family our friends and then we get to decide what we actually want to do it sounds like for a long time you had your own inklings that you didn't want to be in a like kind of a safety first job occupation long term uh, so for you when you were 24 and things start to work out what were some of the early kind of expectations you had at that, that stage because you had some friends who obviously were professional a lot younger so you had some role models to look up to uh, what were your early expectations at 24 when you were starting to figure things out when you went pro? Oh, that's that's a very cool question. Very, very interesting ones because, yeah, I felt that pressure because uh, all my friends had like regular jobs, uh, play, uh, uh, working on very big companies, etc. We did like, so I was always very confident. I always had a very good confidence like in myself and in my potential. Um, so I expect to to do that like and to be very sex, su successful like from, from the beginning. Like 2015, I started playing MTGs and I had a very big expectation. After the first year, my first year, I think it was good. Like if you're going to compare with the average, but it wasn't like super and I was like expecting some the stuff to happen a little bit uh, faster, so it was kind of uh, and I and I changed it to to cash games. So when I changed it to cash games, I think my expectations wasn't that huge. I just wanted to, like you said, like just pay the bills and etc. And things like I think if you're gonna compare to to when I started, like in 2015, I think uh, it was something that I aim it more like where the things went uh i think it, it kind of uh get there but if you're going to compare like with my second year that was when i changed it to catch games then definitely like it went way better than than i expected so um i i had the both both feelings but when i started uh i had very big expectations not to make millions not to be like playing high stakes, but to be successful, you know, to, to have a, a good life and to, to earn more than the average, uh, job that I, that I could make with my, uh, to, with my business degree, you know? Mm -hmm. Were there any challenges you ran into when your first or second year, either when you're playing MTTs or when you transition to cash games, which made you maybe doubt yourself in question? It sounds like you had a, Kind of inbuilt self-confidence that you were going to be successful one way or another did that confidence get shaken at any point in the first few years of your journey just the reality you know because when you when you're looking from outside you can think things are easier uh in the sense of getting the that long term or getting the results because you in poker you just do a lot of work and you do a lot of researches and you study and you play and study you play and you think you deserve the stuff like 
uh, faster than you actually get it. <laughs> so I think it's just the reality and just uh, the daily basis work that just I just face it the reality and then see like okay it's not that easy it's not just inputting the work uh, every day uh, like it is but you gotta wait for for the long time you you need to to get the hours to get back to, to get yeah. very good you know so I think uh, I just was when this first year passed I was just happy if I could like just stay at a normal level but then then the it kind of the things happen it, it, i see as the things happen a little bit with a delay you know sometimes you're just okay i'm a, i'm i'm good with that i'm good with what's happening and then you just oh okay i'm gonna play a little bit higher okay i'm i'm crushing okay i'm gonna play higher and then the, the things start like okay like the things are happen right now. Like I didn't expect that to, to happen anymore, and it's just happening. You know, like it's. I, I don't know if I if I could explain pretty well what the feeling. Perfect. Yeah, I completely agree with that kind of philosophy where you've got to put the work in, you've got to be patient, and sometimes life works with this delay effect where you don't get the rewards upfront for your efforts. Then all of a sudden, a few dominoes fall over. And before you know it, you're getting more success than you expected because you put the work in earlier. And sometimes it's a frustrating process because as you're putting the work in early, you're not getting the results. I work with players a lot on this topic where they're getting frustrated because they're putting effort in and they feel like they're doing everything right, but the results they're getting back aren't in alignment with what they think they should get. And it's a very frustrating period. But like you said, that delay effect, I like that even terminology because if you can install that into your kind of belief system that life's got this delay effect, if I work hard, I'm not going to get the instant rewards, but if I just keep at it with a patient and mindset, I will get to the, the outcomes I want eventually. So yeah, I like that philosophy. So for yourself, when did things really start to pick up? So we've got this kind of transition to cash games in your second year. It sounds like that was a good fit for you. Uh, when did things start to really pick up and when did you start having some notable success in cash games? Um, I think the success, the success itself and the, um, the results it came in 2018. So I got like uh, I played MTTs for one year uh, for a backer, um, and I play. I could reach like I started from playing like dollar game, one dollar games, etc., and I could reach like twenty five average buying. And when I when I left MTTs, I went to play for myself. Uh, I I don't think like teams or anything CFPs already existed in cash games so i played for myself started at 10nl uh in 2015 2016 so i played 16 17 and then in, in 2018 from the beginning i was already playing 200nl so that was where i get like the very good results um but i already i was already very uh I felt already very successful in this journey because I was like learning so much and already like studying a lot and getting a lot of knowledge. So all of this journey already, I didn't get the results, but I was like a little bit better than uh, from 2015 in the feeling that, oh, I'm I'm getting there, you know, like I will mm -hmm. get there. I'm pretty sure I will get there. So when I changed it to cash, to cash games, 
2016 was a little a little hard to be honest but in, in late 2016 and 2017 i had the feeling that like sometime sometime the ball will <laughs> will get, get to the goal you know i had mm -hmm. this feeling like uh so 2018 where uh was where i got the, the the very good results started to get the very good results 2018 then 19 and then it was like better you said 2016 was hard what was the challenge you ran into in 2016 uh first was the transition i remember uh transitioning to from mtts to cash games i remember uh something very in 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 my mind that i had was like tournaments it's always you kind of like play the early game etc and you start uh, and you wait to be playing a short game stack uh, a short game a short stack game and you just like get into your comfort zone like read jams uh, uh open jams etc and then like the safety and then i was play, uh, I, I was like okay uh, maybe i will transition to cash game let's play that and i started to play like i had no defense you know i was like always in the spots like oh my god where where my stacks are all will be short and where do i defend myself like i don't i, I i'm like in the in the war zone everywhere like uh receiving punches and <laughs> like from from every from everywhere like i'm getting crazy in there in that so this one that, then i stop it like I'm, I'm i'm not gonna play i'm just gonna study then i i got uh janda's book uh a lot of janda's classes on card runner card runners yeah card runners yeah and then i started a little bit with uh a little bit no i i, I went full in theory like uh full in, in understanding from the beginning like oh my god like i received two cards the game started what the fuck i'm going to do you know like i started from the basics uh starting to rebuild everything because it, it kind of i felt that when i started on the mtts i kind of started already with uh some shortcuts and i didn't understand the game full you know like what's going on and then i went full on theory started to build everything and that was hard because i did all of that and then i went to play and i didn't get the results you know and mm -hmm. so i i think i just needed more uh more practice i just needed like more time and yeah then 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 I started to play, you know, I, I did the transition. So in 2016, I kind of started to play as a professional cash game player uh, for myself. So it was a different type of, of challenge to play for myself. Like I'm my own boss because I played for a backer before. Mm -hmm. So I kind of had that someone to to ask, someone to, 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 to ask for help or something like that. So I think those were, were the challenges, like a new game um a new strategy uh, a new way of life kind of and yeah mm -hmm. basically that yeah and throughout your career how have you generally dealt with downswings so especially as you've moved up stakes and start experiencing new laws i'm always very intrigued to know how people deal with them both like mentally and also the way like they kind of either go back in the lab and study the way they deal with the self-doubt so for yourself looking at your career especially up until 2018 on that kind of journey towards your kind of more successful results have you generally dealt with downswings is there any downswings you remember like a memorable downswing which was particularly challenging for you that we can dive into nice nice question again um i'm more to 
I'm I, I was never a guy, especially I think only on MTTs I played like more, but then I wasn't never I was never a, a hard grinder in like in putting a lot of volume and like just playing playing playing. I was always the guy of the study, so I always studied a lot. And when I start to have a big downswing, I always like increase my hours of studying always. Mm-hmm. Um, always when I, I think when I face downswings, I always try to reflect what's going on. And the vast majority of my downswings were in the periods that I leak study, I leak routine always. So you always, oh, I'm going to do my routine. Like I'm going to, I don't know, wake up doing my morning routine, study two hours and play. And I was always like neglecting like one part of it, like uh, not getting the morning routine, like waking up and like going to social media, starting to chat anything, like missing some part of parts of it. So when always when I faced downswings, my downswings were, weren't never big, too big. Like I remember one at 100 NL in 2000, 17 to 2018 like when i was uh a little bit before i move up i remember was like close to 20 buyings it isn't even a big one but i remember that the pressure was was very big because i had another another stuff in my life i remember that i was feeling very anxious because and that's that's a cool thing to, to say i remember that i was like playing 100 now and I think if I got like my 10 NL, 25 NL, 50 NL, and 100 NL sample, I think my win rate was like 5.5 BBs and playing only Zoom, so it was pretty high. But I was I wasn't I was kind of delusional about results, you know, like not that that I was delusional, but I remember that I that I found a site that you guys maybe know, like HoTF, like who the fuck are you? I don't know if mm-hmm. you guys know that you got like uh, other guys' results, and I was looking at other guys' results, and I was looking like two BBs, two point five BBs, one BB, one point five BB, like every one, and I was like, oh my god, like the downswing will come, like I'm bidding at five point five, no one is bidding too high, so like uh, I'm gonna get there also, like, and I was like, I can't, I can't have like a bigger win rate than that, so I started to have a downswing, and then like all of those feelings, like. A lot of anxiety, like, oh my God, I'm not going to get there. I'm not going to have five BBs of win rate. I'm not going to have four. I'm going to have like 1.5 or two. Like all of those guys are having that, you know, like to see how the other guys are doing. And normally like those results wasn't that accurate or the, or the guys were just playing super high volume in like another time frame or any, like a lot of things. But I couldn't uh, realize that that much what's, what was going on. I was just looking to another stuff that wasn't reality and just uh, inputting that to, to, to my reality and fear, uh, like fearing uh, the future or something like that, you know, or my career mm-hmm. for, for itself. So I think it, that, that was the, like the worst feeling that I had in this downswing because of these outside events that happened. But mm-hmm. never after that, uh, I was like never facing, never facing like, uh, very big downswings that I that I couldn't deal with it or or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's very interesting that we said 
two things which I thought were very good. One, when you are on a downswing or approaching some bad results, you increase your study hours. It sounds like that's just a, a default thing that you do, which is, I think it's a great like lesson for all poker players because when you're on a downswing, you've got more self-doubt, you need to rebuild confidence. There's probably more spots to look over. So yeah, I think it's just a good rule of thumb when things aren't going well, just switch some of your playing hours towards studying. Obviously don't push it to its extremes where you don't play. I think it's a really good um, yeah, kind of overall rule of thumb. And you also said you reflect, reflect more. So it sounds like for you, kind of bad results in downswings, probably just get you curious, probably get you in the lab mm-hmm. more, reflecting, studying, and you probably just naturally come out them quicker than most people because you're just learning from them and improving your game. And then you also said almost like a catalyst which causes downswings was always lack of studying and lack of routine. So there's almost like if you can continue your study habits, have a good routine, you're generally going to bring your best game to the tables and that's going to mitigate some of the effects. So yeah, I like, I like both sides, which both kind of hinged on your approach to studying. But yeah, I think for you, uh, it's probably a testament to your approach to the game that you haven't as many downswings. Obviously, what you were saying there, high win rates for the games you're playing, obviously that's going to mitigate some of the swings you have as well. But yeah, mm-hmm. I like that. Taking control during those times and often during a downswing, the worst thing is we don't know what's going to happen next. We feel like it might last forever. Like you said, when you were looking at other people's win rates and the anxiety was building, that can go on for a long time if you uh, you let it. So yeah, for you, uh, going in the lab, studying more and controlling that variable, sounds like it's been highly effective for you. So yeah. uh, as you said, you have a morning routine. I'm, I was interested in to hear about that. So you said your morning routine is very important. And if you mess that up, often going on your phone will be a negative. What are some of the things you do early in your day that get you in a good frame of mind to perform well? Nice. Um, just to be 100% uh, honest, and especially for the guys that are uh, that are listening to us, uh, it's always a, a I always fight with that. Also, you know, like you always you, you're as a human, you you like to be in the comfort zone, so it's very easy to to get out out of it. So I'm always fighting that. I'm always remembering myself that I need to do that. So um, my my plan is not always like the way that I do because sometimes I just wake up uh, like uh, later. Sometimes I just uh, get uh, another commitment that I like couldn't do, and then I, you know, like those those stuffs happened. But what I like is, and I always try to do that. First thing that I think it's the most important one, at least for me, that I'm that I like to go. To, to to see social media to see news and etc is to wake up and not to get the phone you know like not get your phone that's the mm-hmm. the most important stuff like a thing that i have to fight a lot but is a thing that i that i do that always when i do that i feel that my day is way better so first of all first first stuff is wake up and not get your phone first first of it then I think meditation works. I've been neglecting that, to be honest. Uh, but I think uh, there there's not much uh, stuff. Just waking up, uh, feeling well, not rushing anything, not one like if you wake up and you have not that you have a commitment, but you have something that you know you gotta do in that day. Just don't rush to do that. You know, like wake up, like brush your teeth. Uh, wash your face do whatever you want like eat do your breakfast or go meditate but just don't uh just don't get your phone and start to rush everything 
So I, I have a very basic one. I, I wake up, I brush my teeth, etc. Do my like, I don't 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 get shower or anything like that. Just eat my breakfast. Try to get a little bit of sun or meditation. Not always I can have it because I live in Curitiba, as Rene uh, as Rene knows. So it doesn't have we don't have much much sun. Uh, and then I just go for my for my schedule, like what I have to do. Like normally administrative stuff for for BRPC, so I do all, all of the stuff. And normally I have coaching to do, so I start to get, go go to my coachings. Or if I have like study session with Saulo, or if I have like um, study session for myself, so I do all of the things that I that I gotta do. Normally, like my days. Like there, there's days that I only coach. There's days that I study and play. There's days that um, I do both. So normally I do my morning routine, as you said, and then I start my day with like the things that I gotta do, and then I just uh, just follow my my schedule. But I have a schedule like for every day. I think that's good to, to point also. Like mm-hmm. I always schedule at my 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 coaches are scheduled for the month, so. I build I build a schedule for the month for all the coaches, and then I build uh, I have like Excel sheet, very basic one with all of the commitments like doctor, like I don't know things that that got out of your routine of your normal mm-hmm. schedule. Like oh, I have a doctor, I have a dentist, I have a meeting, like a podcast. I'm gonna put on my routine. Like he, now I'm on vacation, but but I normally like if I have some meeting like that, this one I will put on my routine. So, mm-hmm. and then I go to gym like 2 p.m. to 3.30 from Monday to Friday. I'm at gym with my personal trainer. So very, I have a very rigid schedule to say like that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Very interesting. And yeah, I like what you said about often it's the things that we don't do, like don't check your phone, don't rush. And I think often we can lose our days or like at least lose momentum in the day so quickly in that first kind of 10 minutes to an hour. And it's really hard to get it back. If you start your day in bed on social media, you might think it's going to be five, 10 minutes of your time, but you then try getting back into a productive path. It takes a lot of willpower and a lot of kind of mental bandwidth just to get back to where you were. So yeah, I think often we can double down on like good habits, like you said, meditation, go to the gym. But first of all, we need to make sure we're not shooting ourselves in the foot by yeah, kind of checking phones. And yeah, I've had a rule for probably, it's probably four years now where my phone's on airplane mode for the first few hours of my day. And that's a good like kind of protector for me. If I pick up my phone, it's like, oh, there's no notifications because I was a, a sucker for responding mm-hmm. to people instantly. Now I'm kind of off the grid early. It's just peace of mind to, uh, yeah, get get going with the things that are most important. Then it sounds like you've got a very good structure in terms of scheduling the big blocks of your day. I call it the big bricks in terms of your coaching, your kind of most high priority things of the day, and also uh, like things that need to be taken care of, like bills and doctors and things like that. That keeps you in place as well. So yeah, it sounds like a overall well-structured and as long as you can avoid the temptations, we're all human. We have temptations mm-hmm. to go on yeah, exactly. social media, YouTube, we've all got our own kind of uh, devices that kind of address to them. It sounds like you can stay on track quite well. So yeah, I think going forward, let's talk about your transition from 2018 through to 2021. When did you start your own stake in uh, stable? And yeah, talk me through that kind of transition into uh, being a player and a coach at the same time and how that's, that's one of the last few years for you. Okay, so we built uh, BRPC on 2019. We started in 2019 with two students, and 
Um, so 2018 was playing 200 NL, played 200 NL for the whole year. 2018, 2019 also started it at 200 NL. And then I think in the middle of 2019, I started my transition to 500 Zoom. And I, w I already had some, we call it in Brazil, we call it horses, but I'll call players because I think it's better. Uh, we had some players and then we started to build the company. Uh, we started with two players. We didn't have any um, name for, for the company or anything like that, but then we uh, we get we got more guys and then we started to 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 build a company. Um, so 2019, I, I was I, I was already coaching like giving private coachings. So I already had a schedule kind of that. But then the challenges uh, became like uh, way bigger. Like when building a company, you gotta like there's so many stuff that you gotta do that is like uh, it's crazy like. The amount of stuff. So, all, all of my high stakes journey was always um, coaching, having uh, the company, having administrative stuff, and playing. So that's why I nowadays I can't have like a very big volume, and I'm like that's the that's my biggest leak for sure. Um, so I started playing 200 NL on 2018, 2019, 200 NL to 500 Zoom, and then on, to, on to late 2020. Yeah, late 2020, I started with uh, bigger shots at high, higher stakes. And the transition to 500 zoom to, to higher stakes was tougher because I was also transitioning from zoom games to, to regular tables. So that was a very big, um, there was a, that was a very big challenge also because uh, like the nature is of the game is very different. You gotta not not that you gotta table select, but you gotta open the tables. Then there's like this effort, uh, another bigger effort like inputted on on the games. But it was always like that, you know, like having a, a time to study, having a time to coach, having a time to uh, got administrative parts of the company and and playing, you know. So it was always like that and always climbing, always trying to climb the stakes. And from 2020 late, so all, in all 2021, I'm playing basically only high stakes. Awesome. So any challenges did you run into whilst you were trying to uh, move to the high stakes, that transition from the Zoom games to the reg speeds, did that have any obstacles? And also it seems impressive that you were both climbing to the high stakes whilst growing the business and solving all the business problems simultaneously. How would you divide those? Did you have certain parts of your week which were more business related, certain days where you dedicated to poker? How would you manage growing the business at the same time you were progressing up, up the stakes as well? Nice, yeah. So just being very, very uh, accurate on your, on your question. Mondays, I, I always only included like interviews, uh, meetings like meeting with marketing uh meeting with our instructors of the team uh interviews meeting with my associated soul so that was always like that like mondays and then tuesdays i always inputted uh more coachings so tuesday like three coachings for example uh coaching is always before uh before my gym so like noon in brazil noon like Tuesday, Wednesday, 
Thursday, I'm always coaching, for example. Tuesday, I'm putting more coaches. Uh, in Wednesday, like morning routine, coaching, gym, and then studying and play. Uh, so it's, it's, it's kind of very well structured. Um, to be honest, this year that passed, 2021, was the one that I worked the most for the team and less, and less grind. Um, so this was a very big challenge. Uh, I'm not the best example because I leak it a lot in that. Uh, like, I'm. I, I, 2021 was the time that I inputted like the business and put it BRPC like in the front of anything. Uh, we we went from 45 players to 130, so it was a very big uh, growth. So I had to be there like. Uh, building all the stuff strategically in the in the in the business. So I I always had this idea like BRPC first, BRPC and coaching first. So if I couldn't get any uh, everything done on Monday, if I couldn't get anything done on Tuesday, I went to Friday to to Wednesday, then I went to Thursday, and if I have time, I w- I would grind. So basically, like 2021, I I grind in on Fridays. Sometimes uh, uh, Saturdays, sometimes Sunday, but basically like grinding one or two days because the the volume of work on the team was so big and coaching uh, started. I started to coach more also because we got got more guys going to uh, getting to high stakes. So yeah, that was basically it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sounds very well structured and yeah, obviously very challenging to. Uh be kind of growing two things simultaneously, your business and your poker career. And it sounds like you had a very good clarity of what was the hierarchy, where your time should be spent, and you designated days relative to uh, what was the highest value for, for you at that time. So yeah, very very disciplined, very structured. I like that you've been able to uh, uh, stick to that. And yeah, Rene, I know you've been waiting patiently. Any questions you've got on what we've talked okay. about so far or his coaching philosophy or anything like that? If I can say something, I think... Uh... At the same time that I have like less time to invest on, I don't know, to grind or to invest on my study, I think two things uh, helped me a lot. First is the stability, like money-wise, because of the the team. For sure, it helped me like to 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 get more bankroll and to be like more safe in this journey of getting higher shots and uh, getting to high stakes. And for sure, like. Um, when you when you coach when when you teach and you especially when you coach very good players because like I play I I coach guys that play like 2K and L so to co- to coach those guys that are very good you always you always like it's you obligate yourself to be like studying a lot and like because if not like you're gonna you, you're gonna get there and you have nothing nothing to teach or you're gonna be like. Uh, suffering bullying from the very good guys so you you kind of like you obligate yourself to to just being in the in the being the top of the industry like studying and you know like it's you don't have option so i have to coach the guys that are very good i gotta have stuff to to coach them so it's like an obligation so i think i think that helped me like it 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 moving me from like no don't have don't have don't having an option like gotta be excellent otherwise i'm fucked you know 
I can uh, I can very strongly relate to that when I started to do coaching. For sure. Uh, also in terms of, you know, you're like, okay, now I suddenly have to explain other people how to play poker. Okay. And then you start to think, okay, well, actually, <laughs> what am I doing? And they actually say, okay, I think I'm doing this. And then someone points you out, yeah, but that's actually not really uh, the way it works, right? I'm like, yeah, yeah actually, that's, that makes sense. So you also notice a lot of own leaks in your game. Uh, and yep. you actually sort of then answer the question, like, what I, uh, you combine it very well, huh? like at RCFP, for example, at our max, we had 18 guys, uh, but I was not able to play next to it. I'm also a little bit, not, oh, all right, I removed a little bit. I'm a perfectionist. So then when it came down to strategy, I wanted it to be perfect. I wanted to make sure that everything I said was well-researched, that I don't give leaks to other players. Um, in hindsight, I think I just did way too much. Uh, um, but how do you then deal with the fact that for example, my students as well, they started rising through the stakes. They became very good. They don't just automatically assume that what I say is correct anymore because, you know, they yeah, they, they become very good as well. And I wasn't really putting in the volume anymore. How do you deal with that? I don't. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Uh, <laughs> basically, yeah, we, we can relate in, in the same stuffs. Uh, how do I deal with that is delegating basically delegating uh, a lot of stuffs in the in the company so my plans for this year uh, it's basically that i think with 3 years of company company is already very big uh, very well structured because we uh, we put a lot of time like strategically thinking about and how i deal with that is i want to play way more this year i want to challenge I like I rec battle it uh, somewhat a lot in this in this year uh, because I didn't like I had to play so I just like open 5k and play it and whatever like I don't I just want to mm -hmm. play you know when I had the time I just wanted to play so I played like basically every game uh, that was running and what I want to do this year is to delegate more especially administrative stuff so we already have. Uh, very good uh, team here taking care of the stuff. But, and we have like a lot of good instructors on the team also. But I want to delegate more. I want to give. I, we, all, we already have. We already give a lot of freedom to, to, our, to our team, to our um, instructors and to our administrative part, marketing part, etc. But I want to delegate more. I think that's the only way. Uh, if you have a big company, you just have to 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 have very good guys working with you, giving them more freedom, giving them uh, the power to, to 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 make the decisions, and then you gotta because it, it, otherwise you gotta choose. Like if you're gonna if I'm gonna like only take care of administrative part, like uh, left the study behind, left the the grinding behind. But I don't want to do that. I don't think that's the time. Maybe sometime like. Some uh, in the future, I, I, I can do that, like uh, retire from poker and just do the administrative. I don't know. But now I think I, I have a lot to do still uh, with playing. So for this year, that's my biggest challenge. So let's see. In a, let's see how, how it will work. Like in 2023, we can we can talk again and ask like, OK, Zion, how many hands did you play? How many high stakes hands did you play? Could you, could you do that? Um, but I think I, I'm gonna be, I'm gonna be able to do that, and yeah, I work with with a uh, 
psychologist also um, every week. So he, help, he helps me to do that. And I think it's it worth mentioning that, especially with Adam here. And yeah. I think that's, I mean, you have your routine. You already mentioned personal trainer. You have a psychologist. You build a team around you, which makes you function better. And actually, the your your co-founder, Saulo Costa. Am I saying Saulo, that correctly? Yeah, yeah, Saulo Costa. Yeah, Saulo. Uh, you mentioned him quite a lot. When did you guys met? I met Saulo in September of 2017. That's very accurate. Day, <laughs> time. <laughs> location yeah. yeah i always remember uh like i i, I always remember those uh, like time frames pretty well uh, i remember uh I, he had a blog on run it once and i already uh, um used to read that a lot and then he made a blog in a brazilian forum then i just messaged him he had a study group in in skype etc Then I, I, I entered on, on this study group. We started to chatting and I was I was really into MDA stuff that I that I got with uh, with Nick, Nick Howard. And then Saulo wasn't like very, very big, a, a, a very big fan of it. He wasn't do he wasn't doing that. And I was and I remember he was crashing like 100 zoom and then he started to have a big downswing. Then he was like. Oh, let's do MDA stuff, etc. And I was like, dude, like, was three months ago I said to you for us to do that, and it was like, like, ah, this doesn't, this shit doesn't work, etc. <laughs> and I was like, I mean, when oh. you, when you're up swimming, you know, the the necessity is not really there, but when you're down swinging, you're automatically more open to alternative ways, right? Yeah, exactly. Then we started to work together. Uh, like we just uh, we we when I read his blog. And he was Brazilian also, etc. I was like, this guy is, is very, is very, he looks like me, like how, how he deals with studies. He's like very organized. Uh, I think he's like cognition or he's a smart guy. So I, 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 I read his blog and I said like, this guy can, can be a good partner, you know? And then I messaged him and then we could relate in a lot of stuff. And then he had the idea of doing a CFP. Uh, he was like, man. Ah, okay, yeah, because when you say partner, you mean study partner, not necessarily business partner. Yeah, yeah, we, right? we just, we were study partners before the, the BRPC. Mm -hmm. Like 2018, we were studying together and exchange ideas. Like he was a friend for sure. And then he was like, oh, I have this idea of doing a CFP, etc." And I was with that, with that mindset that I, that I already told Adam, like, I don't want I want I don't want to depend on anyone. I don't want to teach anyone. Like I was kind of arrogant like no one's going to do like the work that that we did, man. Like no one's going to we're, we're going to uh learn that that in that way that fast like like forget that like dealing with people, you're crazy. Like <laughs> you know, I, I was very uh Skeptical. Against, yeah, yeah, I was very skeptical yeah. and against doing stuff like I just wanted to to do my work on uh, on my time uh, with my freedom, just playing my game and earning my my money. But it was a a nice surprise that that I that I enjoyed. Actually, I, I, I wrote this question down for a little bit later down the line, but I'll ask it now okay. uh, because indeed 
you, as you just brought it up, how do you deal with the fact that, because you told that you, it's very frustrating for you. Um, uh, you're very competitive. How frustrating is it for you when you, for example, see your students not showing the same competitiveness that you would show, that your students are not showing the same routine and discipline that you would show? The fact that, for example, uh, because I've experienced this as well, like you have control over the outcome of your CFP results, right? But it's not 100% control because in the end, they still have to do what you say that that they're going to do. How, how does it work if people just you know, don't show the same competitiveness and dedication that you show they're out? Or how do you deal with it? Man, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to answer that 100% uh, honest. My expectations were so low that the work that the guys show are so better than I expected that I'm just happy, you know? Because even though they leak and they don't show, like my expectations back there were so low like i was so skeptical and so didn't have hope on that that i'm i'm just very surprised in the in the good in the good way you know like i'm just i'm just happy and grateful for that so i'm just grateful for that i met so many good guys and the guys are are, are amazing so i'm more like an optimistic in this way and more like looking to the bright side than just like uh hunting for leaks or anything. I, I, I just feel so, so happy when like you, you show something to the guy and then he applies correctly or the guys like show them uh, like they have blogs on our discord group and we see, you see his their routine, you see their uh, getting the results. So it, I, I just see like for more for the bright side of it, you know? Oh, that's a, that's a very good. I mean, expectation management uh, is spot on right there, right? Yeah, oh, yeah. that's a, that's very good to hear. Uh, you also mentioned briefly, and when I scrolled through your Instagram, I came across a video. I think it was 2018, if I'm not mistaken. You already mentioned uh, me- mentioned Mr. Nick uh, from mm-hmm. uh, from Detox. Shout out to Mr. Nick Howard. Mm-hmm. Um, can you tell us? Uh, apparently, in the video that I saw, it seemed like the, he or his methodology had quite a big impact on your game. Mm-hmm. You also yeah. mentioned MDA, right? Which, uh, which which they work with a lot. What kind of yeah, impact yeah. did that have on your game? Oh, a lot, man. A lot. Uh, spe- uh, especially on that journey of 2016 that we were talking about. I think uh, when I started, when things started to make more sense in my head, was like late 2016 when I started to get in touch with his methodology. Um, I won a, a curse on his Instagram. He like made some promotion and I won, uh, it was PDMG poker detox mental game. I think that where at that part of, of my career was what I, what I needed because he cleaned like a lot of the thought process in that curse and I won, the, I won the curse. So I, like, I remember, um, like watching that, like in one day I watched like everything and helped me a lot. And I remember in that time he was building night vision also. And I, I already gave an interview for him because he was like doing the night vision and doing the curse. And I was like, uh, before he, before he going to sail, like with the curse, I already 
I already had like all of the things that he mentioned in the curse just by like like observing, printing, uh, being kind of sneaky and doing the job for myself. So he like came with the curse, like, oh, I'm going to sell the curse. Uh, he had like some profiles of uh, hand to node, et cetera. And I already had like it all like just before. You already he, made everything yourself. Yeah, yeah. I, I made it. I made it and it, everything by myself. And was like, I think my whole career in two high stakes worked pretty well, like with uh, simplifying strategies, going to MDA, seeing where people were leaking and understanding why people were leaking. I think that's like the biggest thing that uh, Nick helped me. Um, after on 500 Zoom, especially, uh, things starts to get a little bit tougher, in my opinion. So I had to transition to a more GTO and more balanced approach. And that's where I started to like inputting those, those stuff together. But yeah, he had a, a very good, um, impact on our, on our career, me and in, in, in Salos also I think like the way he thought about that was very, very, very like out of out of line, you know, like very out of line in, in a good way, you know. And you mentioned that, uh, because that was actually also, also a question I was thinking, uh, obviously in terms of MDA for the people that don't know what MDA is, it stands for mass database analysis. And basically, uh, it is, you analyze data of your population and basically you look for leaks. And if a leak occurs, you over exploit in that leak, for example, at a certain node, someone overfolds, so you overbluff. That's kind of how it works. You look for these leaks in the pool, labeled hotspots, cold spots, and you attack, basically, simply said. Obviously, if you play 10 NL, uh, hotspot paradise, and then as you move up, uh, the hotspots, they become less hot. You know, they're like medium warm spots. Uh, and also, a lot of them disappear, or at least you have to dig a little bit deeper, right? This is in general... If you look at poker five years ago, you could exploit people on very basic stats, right? If you had eight stats, you could exploit people. Now you need at least 120 because the leaks are way further down the tree. They're more disguised, right? Um, you mentioned that when you then moved up to 500 Zoom, this probably occurred, right? There were less leaks. Was it then also a good time that you met Saulo as he was, I guess, more theory-oriented, where you were more MDA-oriented? So you guys made like... You know, I'm imagining Dragon Ball Z, two, two of these guys, they merge together, right? And become like a perfect version. Yeah, yeah. No, it was a little bit early. Um, I was very, I, I was like more MDA, inputting more MDA in, in, the, in, the, in, in my game. But I already had that very big, very good theory uh, background. Because I think if you, for you to understand deeply MDA, you gotta have like the theory very well based for sure. So I already had it. Salo had more than me for sure. And then we started in 2017. And I think it could relate in 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 this sense. I I think you're you're accurate in this one. Um, and then we started to study together. I I was like more advanced on MDA. He was more advanced in theory. And yeah, uh, I I tend to agree with that. Yeah, I I I I had a similar experience when I teamed up with uh, 
It was with Explode 777. I don't know if you ever played with him. Yeah, yeah, for uh, sure. Morton who, Morton, who left the team early. I remember the team was doing quite well. Everyone was making good progress. And then Morton was the, the fourth guy in the team. Uh, he went to travel the world. And we all said, guy, you're crazy. We're at the breakthrough of our career. But he already talked about this Bitcoin and Ethereum thing a long, long time ago. So who was the stupid guy then? <laughs> I, I guess it was us. As obviously afterwards, he, he would skyrocketed with someone else. But he was like the Pio guy. Explode was, uh, yeah. I mean, Explode is Explode. He's a spe special guy. He's probably listening. Uh, but he was definitely way more exploitive. I was also very exploitive, but I did understand. I was just getting into theory. And then when you put everyone together and everyone has a certain input, suddenly great things can happen. I'm a big fan of teaming up with, with other players and especially uh, players who have a, a different approach, like an, sure. in this case, in this case, easily set an MDA guy mixed with a Pio guy. You will get very interesting discussions. And the truth in poker is that you know Pio is not always right, MDA is not always right. It's always a little bit of a mix, right? So if you can get yes. expertise from both areas, I think that's kind of when the magic happens. So after you started to implement MDA, after you started to uh, meet Saulo uh, and start to study with him. How was playing poker different after that compared to how it was before that? How did you experience playing poker? How do you experience playing poker? You mean uh, the feelings of just playing in the in the in a feeling way, not in strategic way, right? Uh, that's right. That's yes, right. Yes, usually, usually the feeling comes after the strategic, right? Especially, for example, let's say NDA. Yes. What I think is good about it, it can offer you a certain amount of certainty that when you're in doubt, for example, to pull mm -hmm. the trigger, the certainty in a certain hotspot in NDA allows you to pull the trigger, right? There's no mental blockade. As soon as you, for example, people have no trouble, Ethereum-oriented people have no problem pulling the trigger with the best blockers. Right, mm -hmm. because their mm -hmm. knowledge about blockers is that big that if the spot comes up, they have the best blockers. Uh, they ship their stacking. It's the same with MDA. If you're in a spot and you know that the population over over falls ten percent in general, your confidence is so high, so you have no mental blockades. You just fire every time it comes up. Nice, nice. So, did you experience something like that? Yeah, for sure. Or how was like, it for you? Um, okay, so as I said, I built it up like late 2016. Uh, was at 25 NL, uh, early 2017, and I remember the feeling of getting all the stuffs done, and then looking at that, and it was kind of, uh, yeah, it was a like Nick said, like a blueprint that uh, what you gotta do. So I looked at it, and I started playing like with that knowledge already, like the areas that I could exploit in both ways, like. For example, over bluffing, over folding, over calling, etc. And yeah, the feeling was that it was a total different game. And that, and I, when we teach that to to our students, also, they always relate that also. Like, oh, it was like that changed my mind, uh, opened my mind for a lot of stuff. So the the feeling was very good because I already had. The, that background of the the curse that poker detox mental game that I did with Nick uh, that helped me a lot with the, the thought process also so it was very um, how do I say very comf very comfortable you know to play like very comfortable like I know what I'm doing I'm 100% confident 
those stuff, I, the stuff started to happen a lot. And even in my interview with Nick, he said that uh, he had the same lucky that run run better in the in the beginning, like start to applying the stuffs and then started to run run good. So that's very good also because if you start to run bad, you you maybe like oh this shit doesn't doesn't yeah, work. you lose. Let's change. You lose, you confidence. lose the confidence. Yeah, yeah, the confidence is key. Yeah, confidence is the key for sure. And then things started to happen, and I was like, after that, I was like uh, experiencing a very a, a way better experience of playing poker because I was like uh, trying to do this hierarchy of theory stuffs and then messing up and then like making a shitty decision for sure and then when things were more organized in the hierarchy of my thought process for example then i started to to be like uh way to putting way less mental energy in stuff that yeah that matter matter basically in your head your structured your decision making process and you prioritize what actually mattered and thought to think about in the hand, and those were probably way less things than before. Yes, way less things, way more accurate, powerful. Um, and then, like, went for like my whole mid stakes career, like that, low stakes, mid stakes career, like that. Um, and then, gotta change, got it. Uh, I had to change again, as I said, especially to play higher stakes, uh, where the leaks are way smaller in some areas they don't exist anymore in some areas they are to the other point so there's a lot of things different and you gotta be way better in theory you can't like just get a for example a hand that is zero percent bluff in some spot and you just fire you gotta like be crushed in high stakes for sure so i kind of had to go back again in more theory wise and then adding some other stuff more complex adding complexity to my to my game to my thought process so that's the the deal right now but i think like and i can i can relate in, in some some people talking like for mda like oh mda doesn't work or oh you just like you you kind of blindly attack some some shit and it, it it will not work. It will make you dumb. It will make you uh, make big mistakes. But those people don't understand exactly what MDA is. Like MDA can show you some some areas of the game, and you can you, you have to deal with that like in a smart way. You you gotta understand why people are doing what they are doing and why they are like leaking in that way. Like why a guy is overfolding that in, in that line. Why a guy is over bluffing that line? Like, what causes that? What causes that is, is just a behavior, like a human behavior, natural human behavior that goes through that area and work and and works like that. So, if you're playing versus a very super high stakes, no matter who, uh, he will probably like uh, leak. He'll probably have some hard time to do some type of plays. You know, so it's it. It teaches you a lot, you know, those works with, and you gotta understand pretty well theory also. You gotta understand, you gotta go to the PO grids and see how your range is and what part of your range is hard to play in that way. What kind of your range is like, uh, your range is full of some type of hands 
then in that spot, because of that, like it's natural for you to overbluff. It's natural for a guy to overbluff. It's natural for a guy to overfold, you know? So I think you got to understand uh, deeply why uh, those stuffs happen. Yeah, in a, uh, I'm a very big advocate of why. Uh, for example, in a, in a, in the program that me and Adam created in the technical section as well, instead of, um, I've seen a lot of data in, in, in my life as well. I've studied populations. And it's indeed like the main takeaways I take from it are just bigger concepts. Like what yeah. leads to an overbluff spot? What leads to an underbluff spot? Why is this an overbluff spot? And then basically you can just predict based on the variables. I think in, in our program, we list like eight variables, which are basically if all the variables go green, it's an overbluff spot. If all the variables go red, nice. it's an underbluff spot. And obviously still, you know, sometimes four are green and four are red. What do you do? Right, that is pop becomes very close. Obviously, it's not like this is now like oh, now poker became easy because exactly. you know there's still a lot of factors that have to be taken into play. You gotta um, dig deeper. Uh, you gotta dig like every day. You gotta review spots every day. You gotta like build heuristics everywhere. So it's an an infinite game for sure. And you um, like we're gonna be. Uh, studying that like all of the years and you'll, not, you'll never get to the perfection uh, but you can masterize that pretty well for sure what do you think are uh, if we're talking about the topic of MDA what do you think are some common MDA mistakes you also talked about misconceptions what do you think are some common misconceptions and mistakes people make when it comes out to MDA um, what I think people do wrong in mda is that is that yeah sure let's say, let's say for example you have someone who starts to use mda what is he gonna do wrong what are some common mistakes that they're gonna make hmm. um i'm not sure if just using mda but what, what i think people do wrong is people think recreationals don't fold enough and i think people have a common like miss conception that uh rags don't bluff enough also i think those are the biggest ones yeah and also i remember i get i got i'm sure i mean you twitch as well right from time to time yeah yeah and then people ask like oh or they say oh yeah this pool never bluffs i mean it's very yeah. black and white depends the line depends the formation depends yeah. the same with with recreationals right yeah, recre yeah. there are spots where they're gonna massively over bluff Due to indeed, you already uh, uh, used the words natural, unnatural, right? Uh, yes. If you look at Pio plays, some Pio plays, you know, sometimes Pio comes in a spot with a lot of natural bluffs. He realizes that and gives up half of them, for example. Where a human exactly. is like, for example, I get, I think I once gave an example in a YouTube video uh, on a classic three five nine queen ace board. So it starts low, runs out high, high, and all the gutters in the world are available and miss. And I think it was mm -hmm. a bottom versus big blind scenario. Yeah. On that scenario, people will have to give up hands on the river. Whereas exactly. no one is going to give up fucking ace high when it's <laughs> yeah, exactly. a queen ace run out, right? Why would you give up ace high? You're never going to win. So exactly. it leads to it. You know, it's an example of a spot mm -hmm. that's going to lead towards overbluffing so we can do underfolding. And then there's other boards which are 
way less natural, right? Like flush completing, three broadways hitting, whatever, where you suddenly have to see a lot of, uh, I don't know, low pairs, complete air balls. Yeah, and then suddenly it's like, what? Not very human, right? <laughs> the human thing you do, because we like to have equity. We like to bluff a scare card. We like to bluff a range improving card, for example. And basically you have to start, yeah, indeed, like what you said, you have to understand how humans construct their ranges, basically, right? Exactly. Um, exactly. But for that, you first need you need the understanding of theory, exactly. right? Because if you don't understand theory, you don't understand what is supposed to be in there. Because if you see theory and you're like, "Ooh, this is not very human," you can basically you don't even have to look anymore at the pool data. You know, it's most exactly. likely exactly a, exactly underblow spot, for example. Exactly, exactly. That that I relate a lot with that. And there are some spots that I don't. You don't even have data. You can have like one billion hand that will you not have like a river four bed spot, like with some texture or whatever. You're not gonna have the data. So you gotta predict, gotta understand. And by just uh, studying a lot of patterns, you can understand uh, why things are happening. And one thing that I think is very important also is that there's a lot of guys that are very good and like naturally observing and understanding what what's happening yeah but even though even these guys like if you don't see data like ever uh there's a lot of stuff that you can as assume like wrongly and i i related that like i had an idea before seeing data before seeing deep data that like oh this stuff never happens or this stuff don't happen and then you, you can surprise yourself a lot so uh i i think open your mind by looking at the data pretty uh pretty deep uh you can you can surprise yourself in some spots also yeah obviously you know our mind is uh, very sensitive to biases exactly and i think what i like about data is basically if there's an argument going of, oh, I think this, I think that, well, okay, let's start think let's stop thinking, let's just run the spot and we'll see, right? Exactly, what does exactly. the data say? The data <laughs> the data in the end is gonna be correct, right? So I think it's a good place to test your assumptions, for example. Right. For sure. Um, you also mentioned that uh, when you move up the stakes, leaks are less apparent. Also, for example, throughout the years, uh, let's say five years ago, I think the average player that I played again against was more passive and more foldy. Now the average player that I play against is way more aggressive and less willing to fold, right? It's a general change. I would say also if I compare, for example, data that I've run, um, for example, when I make new products now, I look at my old lessons from CFP and I compare some stats and I see the population over the years slowly moving towards mm -hmm. a more GTO frequency uh, you know, we had that in the past pre-flop. Now you see that on the flop, the gaps are being closed. But like I said, it doesn't mean that the leaks are no longer there. You have to dig a little bit deeper. Um, mm -hmm. But when you mentioned that when you were moving up, certain leaks or certain common population leaks would disappear and other ones would mm -hmm. e even go the opposite way around. Could you maybe give an, mm -hmm. a, a practical example of that? Something that you think... Works, yeah. for example, very well at low stakes and not so well anymore at higher stakes. Oh, uh, sure. Uh, have a very easy one that is uh, overfolding to see bad, especially early positions versus big blind, like UTG versus big blind. If you're gonna play like 25 NL, the average reg 
Wolver fold to a small C bet and a high stakes rag will definitely recall the basic basic one. Yeah, 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 that's because you have to you have to be quite nitty there. I my, yeah. my uh when EPMP gets involved, my win rates usually suffer a little bit. Uh, yeah. which is which is which is really interesting because indeed you already need to make from the big blind versus EPMP you can make quite some nitty faults. Uh, ima- imagine full ring, man. I mean, I assume you never studied full no. ring, but imagine you go play live and only you're on, only on entities. Yeah, only on entities. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's it's an interesting spot. Yeah, a great great example. Great great example. Yeah. This podcast is brought to you by Poker Ambition, where me and Adam have created our coaching program, The Mechanics of. Poker. After having reached high stakes poker ourselves, we tested out this philosophy on our CFP students, which saw them rise through the ranks and double their win rate. We then took the best knowledge of that CFP program and turned it into the mechanics of poker so you can have that high quality content without the long term commitment and often hefty price that comes with a CFP program. Now I will be teaching you the technical side of how poker really works, how to think about the game and how to consistently get better. And Adam focuses on the mindset and performance skills you need to know in order to convert all that technical poker knowledge into more consistent profits at the table. Now this program is high level. It's made for professional poker players who have the ambition to break free from mid stakes and move up to high stakes poker. So if you're ambitious about your poker goals, go over to pokerambition.com for more information. And there you can also find a free one hour demo of everything that is inside the program. If you have any further questions, don't hesitate to reach out. But without further ado, let's get back to more goodness in this episode. Adam, do you have any, uh, do you want to jump in here? Anything you would like to add or ask? Yeah, I've got a bunch of questions. Uh, first of all, I right. thought it was very interesting what you talked about, about human nature and people making mistakes. And when you've got those kind of red flags or those kind of hot spots appearing, I like how you are relating that to like, the psychology of the person. And I thought that was a very interesting thing to try and get into the head of how are they thinking in this spot. I think that's a lot deeper than most people go. They're looking at the stats, the data, how to exploit. They're not thinking there's a human being on the end of the screen who's playing this way for a certain reason. So yeah, and that shows the kind of level of depth you go to. Another thing that I picked up on was a few times in your career, you've had to kind of go back, almost like stop stuff and go back to the basics or the fundamentals. It happened like, I think 2016 time. And I think that's really hard to do. Like you've, you've seen me do it quite effortlessly, but to stop what you're doing that was working and have to go back to basics or create a new strategy, new approach, I think it's really challenging. So uh, I think you said you did it again at high stakes where so you were doing more the MDA approach and then you had to come with your own strategies and get deeper into theory. For you, how challenging is that to kind of stop the kind of current approach and go back and it sounds like going deeper. How, how does that work for you and how do you, uh, yeah, it sounds like a few times in your career you've had to do that and how does that kind of transition kind of play out for you? I would say that I kind of like, not kind of like, I would say that I like to do that a lot, you know? I think one of my biggest, uh, my biggest skills to be like that is to be able to structure stuff and to restructure stuff. So I'm kind of addicted to it if, if I'm going to mm-hmm. think deeper on that 
uh, right now. I think my biggest leak would be uh, to just input into practice or to, not that I have, not that I'm not able to input that in practice. I think I, I apply it well, but I like more the basement works. So when something uh, goes wrong, I really enjoy to restructure and to mm -hmm. really think about the stuff, you know? So when I did the Jandas uh, work there, I, I remember I was like, I did a surgery on my knee, like in late 2015 to 2016. And I remember I was like, uh, I couldn't walk and I was only on my bed. And I was working like 10 hours a day, like just restructuring stuff and doing Excel sheets. And like, I always like to build those stuff, you know, mm -hmm. like building heuristics, like, oh, I'm going to study mm -hmm. three bad pots, big blind versus UTG. Uh, what are like the, the heuristics, like how low boards play, how two-tone plays, how monotone plays, uh, what are, you know, working on the basements. I, I think my, I, I like that a lot, you know, mm -hmm. I, I like that a lot. So it, 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 it's not that of a challenge, you know, it's, it, it, I feel pleasure on <laughs> doing that. I feel, you know, I like to do yeah. that. Awesome. Yeah, it sounds like you enjoy going very deep and almost like breaking something to rebuild it with a better structure. I'm picturing yeah. you like as a kid having a Lego castle and knocking it down so yeah. you could restructure the foundations to build a bigger castle. And yeah, I think it's a, obviously a personality trait of yours where you enjoy that type of work. But I find a lot of people might struggle with that because obviously... Uh, if you've had success in an area and what you did was working, it's quite hard to kind of jump ship and try and create a new strategy that's better than what you were doing. I think some people will get stuck at that point because that rebuilding process, they've got a lot of their identity wrapped up in that kind of the results mm -hmm. they've, got in, they've got in. So for you to enjoy that kind of deep restructuring. Um, so for you, when you do that kind of work, so let's say, for example, let's say you go into high stakes and you realize that you need to uh, switch up your strategy and go deeper and restructure things. Do you get joy from the pursuit of trying to figure things out or when you've got like this new structured strategy and approaches, is it the end result that gives you the satisfaction? So is it more the enjoyment of doing or the end point you're trying to get to that, that gives you that kind of joy? That's a very great, good question, man. Congratulations on that. <laughs> uh, I think the pursuit. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I can relate on, another stuff that is i always like to <laughs> kind of my whole career i didn't i didn't like input that much of a volume because i was always like building stuff going to practice okay that works nice like okay that works i'm done with the i, I don't have like this i'm i'm not happy anymore just to like printing there you know like, okay, let's go, go to a new challenge. Let's build another stuff, you know? That's why I like to move up. Like That's why, I, um, for example, at 200, 200 and now, I think it was the time that I just, like, printed more. Like, oh, I'm here, winning money, let's win money. But basically, like, okay, let's go to, to 500 Zoom, new challenge. Okay, things are not working. Let's rebuild. Okay, it works. Like, I'm not going to stay in 500 Zoom. Like, okay, it works. Let's just print here. Um, Okay, let's go to 1K. Let's go to see what's going on here. Okay, that doesn't work. Let's rebuild some part of my game where I'm leaking. 
okay, I'm beating 1K. Let's go to 2K. Like I'm always mm -hmm. uh, hunting for, for a new challenge in, mm -hmm. in this sense. And I feel, uh, and, and there's a lot of new challenges. Uh, strategic, it's strategically speaking, um, changing sites, playing on other sites. Uh, I started to play heads up right uh, in the last year also. So I'm always looking for like new challenges uh, to solve, like solve a puzzle, go to another puzzle, go to another puzzle, basically that. Not just yeah. exploiting uh, <laughs> the, the hotspot. Yeah. Always in motion, trying to find the next challenge to solve, the next problem, the next thing to rebuild, yeah. a structure and model towards. So yeah, and that explains it quite well, your kind of childhood or your kind of background. You, you bounced around a lot from tennis to football to Counter-Strike to yeah. music. Again, solving problems, do you get to a point where you're like, what's the next problem? What's the next challenge? It yeah. takes me back to that time you said you were managing the kind of music scene mm -hmm. in, in, in Brazil. And then you were like, I'm a bit bored of this. It's almost like you've solved that problem. It's like your mind's like, give me another riddle. Give me a Rubik's Cube. I need something to solve. So yeah, it sounds yeah. like you're, you're constantly, which is great for growth. Obviously, I'm guessing we can tell by this conversation, you've grown in so many areas. I'm sure that's a, a big kind of facet is that kind of ability to take on challenges, try and find ways to solve them. So other than your problem solving abilities and your competitive backgrounds, are there any other character traits that you feel like you've had from childhood or you've had you've developed early that have allowed you to have success in poker in business? Is there any character traits that come to mind or any that you've developed over the last few years on, on your journey? Um, okay, there are some for sure. Uh, there, let me think. I think curiosity of uh, knowing knowing the stuffs is very important. I think one that I that I learned it um, somewhat old and like in the in the like almost finishing the uni, um, I think about discipline. I I kind of I was always like. As as we we talk it like in sports and you learn all of those stuff, but I think I I, I kind of leak it in that on on some part of my my life, you know, like after the school uh, in the band uh, we didn't have like in the music to learn the music and etc. You 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 need discipline and you need like work and training for sure, but the environment can be like a little bit can get you a little bit lazy and can get you like a little bit more addicted to fun and party and all of those stuff that make you undisciplined so i had to relearn that and i relearned it in, in the in the worst way that was in uni like when you do like a work a work to to get it done we call here in brazil it's like tcc that is like the work that you do to to finish the 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 uh, the uni that I went mm -hmm. to business and I was almost um, the client of of it and that like was a very had a very big impact in me because I was like ah dealing with that and things were were working and that I faced like almost a punch in my face like you gotta be the client of that gonna make like another six months. I was like, what the fuck happened? You know, like I was so fucking lazy that I let this to, to came to, to this part. And it was like a work that we had a year to do. 
and I got there and uh, it was a group uh, had me and and three guys more and then my part was fine but it was like very average and there like there was two parts that was like totally fucked and I was all, almost declined and I, we worked almost to get declined and then I was like to the teachers like please guys don't do that etc etc and then i had to redo that like in two weeks and i i did it almost by myself so i i learned a lot in this in this episode also that was like i have the power to do like a fucking good work and if i stop and do my work and if i have discipline to work and to like stop the the distractions and do the work like i have a, a very good uh like brain or anything like I have a very mm. good capacity of doing the stuff, you know? So that mm. was a very, very good episode that teached me discipline and teached me about, uh, that if you don't do the things, if you doesn't, doesn't matter. Like if you're smart, doesn't matter. Uh, if you're mm. like, doesn't matter how good you are. If you stop working, you're gonna, you're gonna get fucked. You know, I can relate with, I'm not, Athletes, if you see, for example, uh, I don't know if you guys like football, but for example, Ronaldinho, Ronaldinho, you know, like he's a guy that like the biggest talent ever. And like at 26, he was basically like retired because he didn't train anymore, etc. Mm -hmm. So for you to stay on the top, you gotta like work every fucking day. You gotta, you gotta keep the work. You gotta keep the work. If not, you're gonna, you're gonna like the guys will, will just pass for you yeah awesome see i got the curiosity to begin with i think we've covered that yep. a few times you're uh you like to learn and solve problems and then the, that discipline and it sounds like you said like in the kind of music environments it was quite challenging to uh develop that discipline to do the kind of boring long term just like kind of showing up and putting the work in because obviously through that environment it sounds like there was a lot of fun stuff and easy to get distracted and carried away but yeah it sounds like for your studies you redevelop that kind of just the the hierarchy of how, how important it is not just to be talented not just to have a good brain but to actually apply that and i think as a poker player it's very uh, me and Rene always like look back at these conversations and it takes a long time to get to the top it takes like five six seven eight years that's a long pursuit and it's there's gonna be a lot of boring days in a computer trying to solve a problem that is challenging and you've got to find a way to show up with enthusiasm with curiosity day after day and with with that kind of mindset and it's a skill that you've got to learn and i think often poker players a lot of us we come out of a kind of school structure and then we start kind of figuring out life for ourselves and we haven't really got that discipline like a self-discipline where you show up because you want to show up we used to like kind of the consequences and repercussions of not you have to learn that skill i think some people have it i know myself i didn't i think Renee, i'm not sure if you had it going into uh, your poker career we have to learn it on that poker pursuit to uh, be disciplined towards an objective even when it's not fun, even when it's not glamorous, and even when yeah. it might take a year, two years to get anything out of it. So yeah, I think that's a really good character trait that you've developed on your journey or just before you started. All right, so I've got a few more questions on, kind of just looking back, I always like to uh, reflect on the journey you've went through and some lessons you've maybe learned and could distill for, for the audience. So one question I want to ask is, if we could go back to your 24-year-old self, so let's say it's the, the, the version of you who was ready to go pro, and this was the one who is kind of ready to have success, but also uh, had a lot of things to figure out. Is there any advice you would give to yourself, like knowing what you know now, if you could go back in time to your 24-year-old self 
Is there any piece of advice, one or two things of advice you would give to yourself in that moment that would help you to maybe fast track your progression to the top? Well, there's a lot of, <laughs> of mm. advices that I could, I could give to my, to my youngest version. Um, for sure, I would say that it worked. <laughs> I would say like it, it worked and say that uh, it worth it also. Like I would, I would say like keep the work that it will worth. Keep the passion. If there is a way to to do it, uh, to keep the passion for the game and for the work. Um, and there's an, another like small advices about strategy, all those stuffs. But I think that the question were more related to to mindset perspective. But I would say um, that keeping the hard work and discipline, um, keeping the the execution, um, yeah, I think is that maybe something towards a uh, relationship, um, relationship with with the guys on the team and managing people. I would say that uh, managing people, I would say for my young 24 years old fella, I would say you can, you can have fun in working with other people. <laughs> I would say that is a good advice because I was kind of uh, skeptical with that. Like I was kind of, yeah, hopeless that uh, working with some other people and depending on some other people and other stuffs could be good in some manner. Um, so yeah, I would say work with other guys is can be fun. Like go mm -hmm. go on it also because mm -hmm. I, I don't I don't I don't regret I don't regret mm -hmm. I don't regret mm -hmm. of trusting uh, I I don't regret on getting back to work with people when to work and to build a company for sure. Love that. Yeah. So I think that's great advice. And when you look back on yourself, often like your younger version is very naive to what it's going to take to get mm -hmm. to the top, but this kind of ball of potential that's kind of capable of a lot. And sometimes when we go back to ourselves, we're like, you're on the right path, work hard, put your head down, execute on what you think your inklings are right. By that, I mean, you're on the path that's in line with your values. You're going to have a great time. The end result's going to be worth it. Then also the certain things that you just don't value at that time. Like you said, I remember you were being quite skeptical of doing this CRP stuff and not really thinking like you wanted to share stuff and being very, maybe ego driven, but also quite wanted to keep stuff to yourself. But then as you've come through your journey and now you're in that kind of management role, that's a great lesson that you're like, look, life's better with other people. You can build a big mm -hmm. business. There's actually so much value in kind of working with others um, on that path. So yeah, I think that's a, a great lesson. And sometimes you've just got to live the experience before you can actually distill that. But yeah, I always think it's nice to uh, look back at your younger self and think that's the one thing that was missing. That the th that's the thing that was right, that I'd amplify. That was the one thing that was missing. And yeah, it's a good, good thing to look back on. All right, one final question from me. Um, so I want to know how your definition of success has changed as you've evolved as a person. And uh, so if, if we look at you, like let's say the 24 year old self, I think it's a good starting point. It sounds like your expectations were quite high in terms of you wanted to be successful, 
But on the flip side, your kind of main goals and definitions of success were probably make enough money to support yourself. Kind of the goals we, we, we set ourselves and we're kind of unsure of where it's going to go. What's your kind of current definition of success and how has that changed as you've kind of achieved a lot of the milestones that you set out to do? What's your kind of definition of success right now? Great question. My def my definition of success is very simple. Is let me let me phrase that very correctly. I would say be happy only, but I would say like be the the happiest that you can. That yeah, the happiest that you that you can. Hmm, not the happiest that you can. I, I I would I would keep the be happy. I think success mm. is just be happy because yeah. it doesn't matter what you have, doesn't matter what you achieve. If you're happy, if you're very happy, then you just have everything, you know. Because yeah. that's that's my my end goal always, like to be yeah. to to be happy. Because I I already had problems with that. Also, mm. uh, like anxiety, depression, and I think only. Not only, but if you face that once in your life and you feel that, that if you know that feeling of not truly being happy, like to be sad, like truly sad, then you can, you can understand that just the end of it is if you feel well, if you be happy, you're just very successful. Mm. Wow. Love that. Yeah. It's so powerful as well. When you stop and think about it it's right. It's like, it's like almost like a correct equation. It's like, if you're successful and unhappy, is that really a good outcome? So yeah, I think happiness has always got to kind of be that overarching kind of endpoint. I feel like we often play a game on like kind of two graphs where one's like the success graph where we acquire stuff, we get money, success, achievements. And then we think happiness is this separate graph that all have success first. And then I'll start doing the happiness stuff. I'll start mm-hmm. looking for my health after it's almost like tick the success and then happiness, where in my opinion, like they're on the same graph. There's like the correlation. And I think often focused on happiness first, whilst trying to be successful, often leads to the more successful people, but it definitely leads to uh, the more fulfilling life. So yeah, I re- think it's a really nice, um, I, I haven't heard it that simple, and that's the kind of one, one two words, but I think it's a beautiful way to uh, to kind of come up with a success equation. And for you, when it, when it comes to being happy, because you, you said you had that moment where perhaps you went through a bit of a depressive episode and you kind of mm-hmm. looked at kind of the, Kind of deeper parts of yourself. What is it that does make you happy? So we've got that kind of simple equation of be happy. Is there anything that kind of correlates strongly with that in terms of the way you show up in life or the things you do that make you happy? Have you got a kind of good indication of that for yourself right now? Um, I think it's not only like one or two things. Or um, I think it's just a state. You know, like be happy is to be full realized with with you with your life or just feeling well um right now what makes me happy is being talking with you guys is making me happy you know like uh when renee talked to me i felt like i felt very uh how do i say very well reward like for my career for my my work because i remember when i started to play uh i talked with vichinho etc he said like man there's a guy that coached me, like uh, a guy from from Netherlands. Like he's awesome. He's high stakes player, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And now I'm here with 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 the Waco, you know, like a guy that was already a high stakes player when I started. A guy that was an inspiration for me. So those stuffs, like the that uh, that that 
that changing uh, that changing not that um, that exchange of of I don't know being grateful for the stuff or being uh, you know like all of those all of those feelings uh, in some manner it depends on where you are it depends on what type of stuff you're, you're expecting or what type of stuff you are facing you can you can search not searching for happiness but just being like find yourself or being yourself uh, i think it's gonna make you happy if you're like when i play i play at very low volume because i have a lot of stuff but when i play i just play like feeling very happy like mm -hmm. i play heads up a lot versus the big boys like versus button clicker and the guys ask me like what the fuck are you doing like playing 2k heads up versus button clicker like man i'm just like enjoying a lot to play you know mm -hmm. i'm just enjoying a lot uh, when i when i battle the guys 5k like davy jones gale uh even make boyfriend like i just enjoy a lot to play with the guys so i'm having fun you know of course mm -hmm. I, i can't lose that much money but i'm having fun you know so i think mm -hmm. it's all about that Yeah, it's the simple stuff, right? It's the yeah. the being the being in the moment and enjoying the life you're living, being grateful for how far you've come and the kind of experiences that you're living. So yeah, I love that. It's it sometimes it doesn't have to be this kind of one encompassing path that we're on. It can just be the the small moments that we're enjoying. So yeah, really really good stuff there. Yeah, of course, like the journey. Um, what we said about like the end the the end goal of. People just uh, input so many ob obstacles for their happiness. Like, oh, when I build this, when I, I don't know, when I buy an apartment, I will be happy. When I get my promotion, I will be happy. But we gotta talk about that, you know. Like, it's the journey. You gotta. Uh, there's a lot of stuff that you that you do that you don't like. Of course, everyone's gotta do that. Like, you gotta be disciplined. Sometimes you gotta face uh, very bad, uh, very bad days. But it's for Is the journey like is the the mix of feelings that you're gonna face that mm. are going to make you uh, a guy that uh, faced like a, a a bigger obstacle is gonna make you like uh, a, a smarter guy is gonna like like build build yourself build your happiness. I think that's a very powerful lesson, and yeah, it reminds me of uh, one of my favorite mentors is Michael Singer, who's got the book The Untethered Soul. And one of his concepts is, why can't you be happy now? Like what, what stops, what blocks <laughs> happiness? And very often mm -hmm. it's like you said, it's we think we need to do X, Y, Z. We think we need to achieve the next milestone, get the next goal, get to the next place. And then magically we'll, un we'll open up the happy box and things will be good. Yeah, yeah. yeah. When in reality, like happiness is, it's now. Happiness is this moment. It's what we can learn from our current experience. This challenge that's right in front of you that feels like it shouldn't be here. This is where you can find the happiness in the pursuit of whatever you're doing. So yeah, I think it's a yeah, it's a really really powerful concept. So yeah, glad you glad you shared that. Nice man, nice. All right, Rene, have you got any questions? Any questions you want to uh, take away with the conversation? I had so many urges to open my mouth, but I listened. I listened quietly. <laughs> but I mean, there was so much goodness in here uh, about the happiness. I think a very uh, important thing is for people to understand. For example, first of all, people should not misunderstand happiness with constantly uh, looking for pleasure, right? We're talking about long-term exactly. happiness and fulfillment. We're not talking, I feel like eating ice cream every day, you know? Yeah, exactly. something that may, <laughs> might give them pleasure, but come on, if you do that every day, in the end, you won't be happy, right? 
We're talking exactly, exactly. long-term uh, fulfillment and happiness. Also, I think a very exactly. important point is that happiness, in my opinion, is a skill. It's 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 something indeed. If you if you look for something to be happy right now, you can find it. But unfortunately, due to the way society is, we get this idea that indeed what you also mentioned that you know you need to achieve certain things in order to be happy, or external things will make you happy. But in my opinion, it's a habit. Also, if you don't celebrate the small things, then when you finally have the big thing, what you mentioned, you finally can buy this house. Then if you didn't train yourself how to feel good about something, about small wins, about day-to-day stuff, then you cannot suddenly expect yourself to know how to how to experience that happiness when that big thing comes along. And I think nice. a lot of people, and I, I mean, I, I can talk about this right now because I've experienced this myself, where I always thought, for example, in my career in the beginning, I struggled a lot, was in big debt, and I was just so fixated on, okay, I need to become the best, and then I get money, and then I will feel so good. Yeah, obviously, uh, surprise, surprise, it felt a, le- a, a little bit less fulfilling than I thought because I put it so much so much weight on that end goal, right? You, you think, wow, I'm going to feel amazing. But I never really trained myself to feel good on a day-to-day basis. So then when you're finally there, you will not feel as fulfilled. And I have to say, Brazilians are very good at being happy. In my opinion, from my experience hanging out with Brazilians, they, they just, you know, they... If you live in Brazil, you know, you also have quite a lot to complain about in general. Uh, you know, exactly. there's some things out of your control, politics, etc. Mm-hmm. I know you're a big fan of politics as mm-hmm. well. <laughs> but still, Brazilians, Brazilians, doesn't matter how bad their, their life, uh, some people's life is, they still always look, find something to be happy about or look forward about. In my opinion, that's really something I admire about Brazilians compared to, for example, uh, Northern Europeans. In my, in my opinion, Brazilians are better at being happy nice okay. man you you're talking a lot about a lot of important stuff like fulfilled uh that's a term that i don't think we have a trans a, a, a very good translation in portuguese but it's a term that you you talk uh, all of the stuff that you that you talked about very are very smart and i yeah you can you have to understand like deeply the the uh the meaning of of happiness like it's not like eating ice cream every day or i don't know drinking every day and partying every day of course you're gonna get fucked and you gotta think like about um of course things that fulfill you in 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 a lot of manners like to achieve something good of course you gotta you gotta have like the goal to achieve something good to be better in something uh those are the stuff that will have that that will give you like the the true happiness you know like not uh only like small pleasures that are going to like give you a pleasure right now and then and then are done you know like fulfill you it's it's very important and i i really enjoy, i really like it what, what you said yeah and i mean we, we saw this coming back in this conversation as well right where you said enjoy the process in my opinion as well if you are really frustrated about where you are now you have a very negative perspective on everything that's going to happen. So you will see things and you will mm-hmm. kind of be in a negative state. And then usually good things don't really happen. It's also what you what, what you mentioned when you transitioned into cash games and kind of let go of that. I guess when you play MTTs, you're hoping for that bink always, right? right? You hope, oh, I want to make that big bink. Yeah. And with cash games, you don't have that. So you're just there. I'm just going to enjoy this process. And when you feel happy about the process and you let go of the expectations, it actually starts to happen, right? So mm-hmm. it's, if you're happy right now, uh, uh, and you know you can look at this from 
uh, a more spiritual side. If, you, if you're just happy at this moment, if you're grateful for everything you have, you will see. If you don't need anything more, then suddenly more things will actually come on your path than if you're trying to get desperately want these other things. Then you're actually pushing them away, sort of. Powerful. You Powerful. Know? Nice. So, yeah. I mean, there's nothing we could talk about after this. This is going to blow this conversation away, <laughs> in my opinion. But, you know, we can still try. We're, 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 we're now in, in cur current day moment. I uh, was kind of wanted to ask some questions about in terms of looking forward to where you are going. Um, I mean, you already talked about uh, your philosophy towards the game, right? Mm -hmm. You and, and what drives you, your passion, your curiosity. Um, I wanted to, to ask you something that I saw on, I think it was on the BPRC site. You guys say... We are the best cash game team in the world. Now, obviously, I'm very curious. What do you think makes you guys the best? And how did your mythology evolve from, for example, when you first started out uh, together with Saulo, I guess, working from the mythology on Nick Howard? How did that then further evolve into what you guys are doing now? Nice. Um, so first question, uh, why, why are we the best? Um, and I think, uh, one, one of the things that I think it's very important is structure. So methodology and structure are the things that we work at the most, um, to give our guys like the best tools, the best process the the best uh ways of getting better because at the end of the day as we know as we are poker players you as a coach you can you can give a lot you can teach a lot you can do whatever you want you can work their mindsets with um like psychologists or whatever but at the end of the day what makes a guy very good is the the effort that he will put uh in in his hours so what we what we do is to try to to give them the best way of the, teaching the best way of studying teaching and, and giving them the best structure like man you're gonna study like that you're gonna do that you're gonna do that and then those guys can work uh pretty well for from them from themselves and about the methodology uh we are rebuilding that in this in this year so probably a lot of new stuffs will come uh we didn't we didn't finish yet but nowadays what we have is uh simplified strategies from the guys that starts especially on now that we have micro stakes team so we have guys like from 5nl to 2k and L, for example, from the micro team, micro stakes team to to the main team, and what what happens with them, like in, in their career, is to to have a very good uh, basement uh, th theory basement in in the beginning, like to understand uh, like the basements of the game, like uh, uh, where DV comes from, pot odds. Uh, um, indifference all of the, those important co concepts uh, to build all of that but at the same time to give them 
what we call our, our blueprints that are simplification. So the guys that comes from from the lower stakes will be playing like very simplified, applying things, earning confidence, earning money, and then when they rise, they can add more complexity, and then you can you can you can basically find find better the anomalies. You can um, be more accurate, basically be more accurate. So you kind of get like the things done in a, with a certain percent of accuracy, low accuracy, let's say like that, but earning confidence, um, understanding the game, and then you, you start to add complexity. Basically doing what we did in our careers and pass, uh, giving, giving to the guys uh, of the team, yeah. But about the best, the best cash game team, that's, uh, of course, uh, as, uh, and there's another thing that I think it's important because we are basically competitors. You guys are, for what I know, you guys are close in your CFP for, for the moment, but you guys mm -hmm. have a CFP also, and you guys have curse. And I think that's very important. And I was even basically in all industries, um, people who sees like, and not in, in don't are guys that are that are not in the, in the industry can say like oh competitor is always like the the this term can be like pejorative or can be like something like oh my competitor is something someone that is uh, i don't know not bad but someone that i want to 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 fight with or or anything and i think that's very different because when you have an industry that you have good competitors, like guys doing good work, um, I think that's better for everyone, you know? So having you guys, having, for example, Beat B, I know I saw that the guys are crushing their uh, detox for itself. And here in Brazil, we have a lot of teams, but it basically empty teams. But when you build like a better, when, when you have good competitors, when you have guys doing the same work that you do, but do like doing super good work, then this will just like build a bigger industry. Like I, I rather have like 10% of a super huge industry than having like 50% of a very small industry, you know? So I, I really enjoy and I'm, I'm really grateful for you guys, for you guys to, to invite me. And I'm pretty sure you guys, um, you guys think in, in, in a, at least in, in a, in a, in the, not in the same way, but in, in a, in, how do I say? In a ah, I forgot yeah, it's very yeah. Similar, similar way. way. Yeah, similar way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, yeah, for sure. And I think that's that's very nice, and it, it builds a, a very good, a very good industry. Yeah, and I, I think this has also been a trend in your poker career as well. You like it when, yeah, when when there's a competitive market or table because. It also gets the best out of you, right? Exactly. It, it also. raises the necessity for you to perform and for you guys to deliver. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think, I think that challenge and what, like what that does with yourself in your development is something that you really enjoy. And I can strongly relate to that. Nice, nice, um, for sure. In terms of, uh, um, if you talk about exploitative place. Mm -hmm. um, Sometimes I speak to someone that might say, let's say, for example, someone has a leak and 
then basically I say, okay, well, that guy has a leak or the population has a leak, so attack, right? As simple as simple as that. But then they say, yeah, but if I attack, then all it makes it so obvious because if I bluff this, I bluff everything, and then he sees my bluff, and then he will readjust. Uh, and then basically what happens, to make the story short, he doesn't do anything because he's afraid of the possible future consequences. Okay, I'm sure you've dealt with some students who you had to kind of convince if you wanted to make him over-aggressive in a hotspot, for example. How do you mm -hmm. deal with these kind of students? And what do you, I'm sure there's people listening, they're like, hey, hey that's me. What do you have to say <laughs> for to, sure. to these people? So like some, like some coaching right now. Nice, nice. Very good, very cool and important question because as you said, there's a lot of guys that can relate with that. Um, first of all, uh, you can't, you, first of all, you got to think that your opponent or, yeah, your opponent, but the villain, he doesn't think like you. That's the first thing. Like, his mind is his mind. You can't assume what he's thinking. Of course, if you're playing versus Linus and you're bluffing the worst combo ever in a, in a line, he will, he will understand that, of course. But uh, there are some areas that of the game that are so complex and that basically... Uh, I'm not going to say that no one no one's understand, but they're so complex and there's so many variables uh, fighting each other that if you don't don't fuck like up in like the worst manner possible uh, it will be very hard for for someone to spot so first of all the guy have to spot second he have to know how to adjust and third of it he have to have the, the guts to adjust so it's like a long a long period i would say um at least for for high stakes especially right now you can't do like very big, uh, very big exploits uh, because yeah, people will per will perceive and we will understand. But if you're playing like lower stakes, uh, especially versus, for example, recreational, they can they can they can see what you're doing and they can think in a in a way that you you would never think, you know, because their minds their minds works differently. So. Maybe you can think, oh, this guy will understand that I don't have natural bluffs, and the guy is not even thinking about that. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't pay attention to those stuffs. And I always, I always give what I what I do when I face a student that is more like skeptical on those stuffs. I just show them the results of the guys that came, uh, the guys that did what, but he's not willing to that he doesn't want to do and show that it works and it's not like that that that's gonna happen like no one will like every single spot will fight against you etc etc just super adjust so that would be my approach where do you think this uh, paranoia comes from i think this par paranoia comes from um for the simple concept of GTO that GTO works to be unexploitable. So people thinks that naturally EVs from the games comes from be unexploitable. So I think that's like this yeah this this paranoia comes from this bigger bigger statement that people 
thinks that in like normal games, uh, EVs will come from you to be unexploitable uh, 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 instead of like just playing, like mm -hmm. instead of people just make mistakes and you play like something that is a little bit closer to to your range to to a to a good game and then the EVs come from there, you know, or exploiting itself. Oh, that uh, I think actually that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I think that's important. Important, especially I usually highlight that point what you said. Uh, what is the correct counter exploit? Let's say you're over bluffing in a spot. Yeah, okay. What is the correct counter exploit? Zero percent folding. Yeah, sorry, but I don't see that happening, right? Exactly. People, and even 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 if I play, you also have to be then honest with yourself, right? Even when I play and I know someone is over bluffing, I'm not folding zero percent. Exactly. Like zero percent is hard to do. It's, it's you hard, have to yeah. be on top of your game. And you're really going to fold 0% like 10 times in a row as well. You need to be quite confident, right? Like One, obviously, you know, yes. someone can adjust maybe once and make a light call, for example. A frequency call, he made a pure call. Okay, gr great for you. And then afterwards, he might think, okay, well, our hero called him last time. So this time, I'm sure he's not going to bluff again. And basically, he already kind of adjusts in his head. And in the end... In the end, also, I think like people just revert back to what they do. A I always say a folder is going to fold and a station is going to station. That's just how it works. Exactly. Right. Exactly. Exactly. And I, and I and I can relate a lot on that. I I I always catch myself like uh, having having to think like don't don't try to go like against what is like normal to like the normal behavior of or some player or some pool. Like if you're gonna, oh no, but he's like that. But in this spot, because of X, he will do like the opposite. Like that's very hard to happen. And another stuff that I think uh, in this in this subject that worth talking about is if you pick like mistakes rag that is good at theory. Let's see, like mid 200 and L rag. That 200 nls is where people already plays like super super well in my opinion. Uh, if you get a guy that like works a lot on PO, uh, watch uh, your Twitches, etc., and a guy that that understands poker, if you if you if you tell him like the ranges are this one, this one, the spot is this one, he will probably like take a very good decision like he will understand what he gotta do if he understands if he knows how the ranges are and if he knows what what type of spot is he'll probably like be very accurate on his decisions but what i think people don't understand is and where the, the leak comes from is people don't know how the ranges are you know people normally think like oh uh, i'm gonna overcall him like there because i overcall this combo that is a pure fold. He can understand that, but he also don't understand that that the actions that he's taking is leading him with a different range that he's he's actually have. You know, so I think the biggest leak from from everyone is understanding how the ranges actually are because they're not how you think you it it, it is. You know, so you can be thinking that you're overcalling and you can be overfolding, and the opposite. Yeah, it's also. like. Uh... It's like a spot where, uh, let's say, for example, you say on the river, like, oh, I will only call here with a spade combo. A spade combo is better to call with. But on the turn, a spade combo was better to fold with. So basically, the hands that you say that you're going to call with on the river, you already folded on the turn. 
So then exactly. at some point, you know, you, you have no more calls left, right? And then oh, especially exactly. like, and this is where the rationalization comes in, right? Of what we already wanted to do. The station will find a, re- a reason why he can still make an excuse to station because that's what he wants to do. <laughs> and the hero folder that's will me. find a reason why this is a hero fault, you know? Yeah, yeah. so in your decision-making process, you know, it's like, what does Xiao think minus uh, a couple of combos because he's a station. So you have to know exactly. yourself and take that in consideration, right? Yeah, don't yeah, bluff Xiao. It's good stuff. All right, noted, noted. <laughs> uh, going going forward in uh, in your uh, in your poker career, um, you said that you were gonna play more. You were battling out at the at the higher stakes tables with uh, with some of the best guys. What do you think is something uh, in order to really crush those games? You would still need to improve upon. Whoa, that's that's a secret, man. I can't. Tell. <laughs> I'm kidding. Probably <laughs> um, the full butter more often. That was one. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but to be fair, what, 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 once you reach higher stakes, people get more aggressive, so it works in your favor. In yeah, way. yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, I think um, in order to 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 get a good win rate overall, uh, it's just a matter of fighting good games. Uh, in matter of Rag battling and playing versus the guys with, uh, I think deeply understanding deeply theory. I, I would say, um, more than even deeper, even deeper. Yeah, mm-hmm. I would say even deeper. Yeah, <laughs> I would say I, I would say that is is the key. Um, I wouldn't. Yeah, I wouldn't say too much of exploits versus the guys that are ready like very 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 good so yeah i would say understanding and theory is so 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 deep and so like it's a very big puzzle that i think that and for sure um being able to to apply stuff pretty well so kind of relates to to mindset uh actually totally relates to mindset and yeah, being able to to apply things pretty well. Um, yeah, being able to apply stuffs and understanding deeper theory. So, yeah, that I would say. How do you deal with um, the fact that you you have only so many hours a week that you can play in terms of, for example, what I noticed myself. If the gap between how much hours I've studied for, for example, the CFP or for courses that I'm making compared to how much hours I actually apply that, when that gap, when there's an imbalance, I can have trouble uh, playing because I have a lot of theoretical knowledge in my head, but I don't have the hours of experience to really feel it, you know, so that Mm. that comes intuitive. How How do you deal with that? I relate with that for sure um you kind of feel rusty you know like when you when you go yeah. when you go play you feel rusty and then um so uh the way i want to do, you know you maybe lack a little bit of momentum you know yeah, yeah the way i want to to deal with that but but i think the opposite is good also because i can see some guys that are just like playing and playing and playing a lot and when you don't like and you don't like get a little bit off of what like if you if you're just like in that routine and not 
getting out a, a little bit, you you kind of don't have like your aha moments or anything like that. I think my biggest aha yeah. moments were like when I was taking vacation or days off or anything like that. So you kind of like gotta look from other perspective uh, from time to time. But what I think about like being rusty or anything, the way I want to deal with that is to prioritize better on my routine, on the hierarchy that we were talking about. So in putting like studying and playing, in putting playing on on a better on a better uh, way. And and one thing that I wanted to do in 2021 was like, oh, I'm gonna play more. So uh, if there's 1K tables running, good 1K tables, I'm gonna play. Oh, I'm gonna play like multiple sites and just gonna play 1K. Then I started to play. Then I see like two guys seated at 5K. And I said, oh fuck 1K. Let's see. let's play one. Let's play 5K. So if I, I want to be like more disciplined in this way of not uh, like uh not because instead of playing uh, i don't know eight tables of 1k if i'm like reg reg battling three table uh reg ba reg battling three-handed 5k like i gotta close the other tables and just play in 5k so that kind of leads you to less volume to less uh decisions so being a little bit more disciplined with that in the sense of not wanting to just like uh to just being very very competitive you know like i think i think that can be that can be good for you to to become more used to play and then your thought process kind of kind of got better because if you just oh, i'm gonna play here and then i'm gonna try to see this table and then you kind of lose that so being more a full grind with a lot of tables and just playing a little bit more yeah, I mean, a part of the learning process is also applying it and repeating it, right? To really get it stuck in your head. Also, you will notice certain nuances that maybe when you were just studying, you didn't notice. I think in your situation, I also hear a little bit of conflict in between what you think is important. I remember also in the questionnaire, you know, we usually ask a couple of questions where you have to choose. And I remember you wrote it down, I'm a gambler at heart mm -hmm. uh, instead of playing it safe. So shutting the 5K table is in line with that also. You like the challenge. So maybe in terms of, uh, maybe it's good also for yourself, maybe after this podcast to reflect upon why do you want to play 1K? I mean, if wh what does it yeah, mean yeah, for yeah. you, right? I think throughout your career, it's like you never really like the repetition, uh, just mm -hmm. grinding for hourly, for example. Maybe that's also why you got into coaching, for example, for me as well. I would never play high volume. So I was always like, okay, what do I like to do? I like to study. Okay, well, what if I nice. study and get students to play for me, right? They can make the volume. I can do the studying. Perfect. Nice, I, yeah. Then after two years of only studying, I was like, okay, I actually would like to play now again as well, right? So it's, it's yeah, to find yeah. the balance. Yeah, it's basically the same feeling. Um, about the questionnaire and the question, uh, I remember that I tanked in, in this one a little bit because I kind of have both. And I, I, I answered this one more in this sense, like... Uh, like I want to play 5K. I remember like three, three or four Sundays. I just woke up like a little bit hangover off the Saturday, and I was like, "Oh, there's some 10K heads up W Coop going on. Let's play or WSOP or whatever." And then I played some some of Sundays, and then I just played 5K. And 
I, I, uh, my my psychologist talks a lot a lot about that that I'm that I I'm just like very I don't know fluid in in, in the sense like I, I just just go with it and do it happy like without any any weight in my backs or you know like I, I always play very very like without any type of pressure and that's why I I, I answered this question this way but if you're gonna think like I I was always a very a very needy with bankroll for example I only shot it when I had the bankroll uh, I was always very for example I changed it by from MTTs to cash games because of the game but because of the the fact that the the earnings are more regular so I kind of have the both you know I have a, yeah, yeah. a needy part in, in in this sense also I think it's also important that let's say for example let's say they take that uh that heads up 10k that you were talking about. You wake up, you sit. If afterwards you bust, do you then feel bad about your decision? No. Only, have played only it? If I, yeah, only if I, like, I don't know, if I make a mistake because I was not prepared, like, didn't thought that, yeah, like, yeah. oh my God, I'm going to play, I'm going to sleep well, etc. But if not, if, if, like, the way I... If if that didn't uh, had any impact of, on on my poker decisions, my strategic decisions, then I would just feel feel fine. And to be honest, I never regret of any any stuff that I that I did, any shot that I made or, or anything like that. I don't I don't remember. I think that's the most important thing, right? Yeah. You you're, you're just expressing yourself. This is just who you are. You know, you try to be planned, but sometimes you know you just give yourself the freedom to be you, basically. Yeah. You are the spontaneous guy who, when he sees a five K table, is like, ah, I feel like playing. Why not? Exactly. I exactly. think the only pro the only problem would occur is if afterwards you would immediately regret that action, you know. But if yeah. you don't have that, then uh, it's just an expression of who you are. So yeah, yeah a lot of uh, a lot of good stuff, uh, Mateus. Nice. A lot of good stuff. <laughs> any uh, any final questions, Adam? Before we uh, let this guy go to the beach, we've had a lot of good <laughs> questions today. <laughs> See, I've just got one final question, quite a lighthearted one. But what are you most excited for in 2022? What are you most looking forward to for the year ahead? Nice. Hmm. Um, kind of equal in in two stuff. So, Tim. The team I already, I think I already made uh, most of the work that I want to do. So I think the two things are more related to my career, myself, um, and it's it's obviously I don't know if you if you ask it in poker or, or in life also, but I would say the two things are are related to to work in. In, in uh, anyways, so it would be some stuff that I want to 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 study. Uh, I think it, that's no, number one. So findings that I want to study, things that I already ha have in my mind to go deep. And second one is to perform. I would say to perform as a player. Uh, thing that I I couldn't do like the last two years. So I'm putting a little bit of more of volume. Um, I'm, I'm not say very, uh, yeah, I'm very pumped to that. I'm very, very pumped to that. To see if, to, to challenge myself and and into being a little bit more grinder. So yeah, changing a little bit of that, uh, 
that state that I that I had been in, in, in the last two years. Perfect. More challenges and more problems to solve fits in well yes. with our theme. Yeah. Rene, have you yes. got any closing questions? Any closing words? No, uh, unless uh, Mr. Zian wants to share anything more, I think we can call it an end. Um, any last words for you? I don't think so because you guys made a lot of good questions. So I think just to to finish, I want to thank you guys and congratulate you guys for 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 this work, um, from for the the pod, especially, but for the work with the company. And I already said to you, uh, Hene, that I that you you were an inspiration to me. So I'm very very grateful for being here. Um, I really respect. Uh, your journey really really respect respect your work adam also that i already watched it a little bit of the other pods that you guys did but uh today i, I met and could talk with adam and i really I, I really think that he could made very very good uh, questions point out very good important stuff so i learned i learned a lot here also so I'm very grateful for that, and I really enjoy to do that and to talk to smart smart guys that have a lot to offer. Uh, we can always learn a lot. So thanks for inviting invite me to be here. It's a great honor, and yeah, I, I, one thing that I want to point out also that I think we didn't point out that much is the work that I do with Mr. Cipio, that is my psychologist. Uh, he's a guy that. He's very, very experienced of life, have like, I think he's 55 years old. He's an ex-athlete also. He was like, uh, I don't know how to say that, but like Remo, uh, Rene will help, help me, like Remo. Remo, Remo. a rower. Yeah, like the, the thing that you do in, in the... <laughs> I, I didn't get it from the word, but I just saw the movie. Yeah, 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 like, like, you know. he, he was an athlete from Flamengo that you probably know there uh -huh. in Hugh. So he worked there a lot, and then he uh, he did like educação física. How how is it called? Isn't it? like physical uh, education. Personal trainer. Yeah, like physical education. And then he yeah. he went okay. to psychologist. Uh, he studied like in Boston, PhD, etc. So he's a guy that have been helping me a lot with a lot of stuffs, not only poker related, but in in life, in relationship, in the team, in how to manage the team. He also helps us in some um, in some opinions on 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 the on the company also. So this work, I having, I, I will complete like one and a half year working with him and have been pretty pretty good. And yeah, I hope that 2022 can be can be very good for me. All right, that's uh, that's awesome, man. Yeah, awesome. I, I was really happy talking to you. I think there was so much goodness in this uh, in this podcast. Really happy to have had you on and share your thoughts. I hope I hope we can can bring a lot of value for for the audience. Uh, I hope the guys enjoy. Uh, I gave my best. I'm pretty sure you guys gave your best also. And yeah, thanks for being here. And yeah, see you guys. All right, we send it off, Mateus, to the beach, enjoying his holiday. And uh, we had a lot to recap, didn't we, Adam? We did, yeah. Try to condense the last few hours into uh, some takeaway lessons that we've learned. It's been challenging, but hopefully we can give a good summary.
what were some of the things that uh, stood out to you? Yeah, some of the things that kept kept coming up throughout were his ability to uh, almost like go back and rebuild stuff. I think there was a few times in his career where there was very challenging moments. I think he talked about 2016 when he transitioned from MTTs to uh, cash games. And he had to go back and like build the fundamentals, like the real start of the game tree and learn poker from scratch. And then he had like a similar kind of go back to basics when he started playing high stakes and he had to, uh, again, readapt his strategy and go back to kind of the lab and re-come up with a new strategy. And once we dug a bit deeper on that, we could see that he loves building stuff. He loves breaking stuff and rebuilding it better. So he's got this kind of problem-solving nature, which is built, I think, from curiosity and also this kind of competitive nature where he's always trying to do things better and put effort into things. Um, so yeah, I feel like he's somebody who's mastered that ability to uh, be disciplined on a pursuit while he's trying to tweak stuff and solve problems. And as we got throughout the conversation, so many different things he's done, so many different challenges he's taken on. And he's somebody who I feel like is always in motion. If we speak to him in two years' time, he'll have another challenge, another fresh thing, another business. He's someone who's always seeking that because he's someone who likes that environment of taking on challenges and growing. So uh, yeah, a million takeaways I could go on, but that was the the main ones I got from him. Some strong character traits I think he's developed, curiosity, discipline, problem-solving ability, and facing challenges with kind of an intrigued mind and wanting to rebuild stuff. I think were really th- uh, strong ones that came through for me. So what are some of your takeaways, Renny? Have you got any summaries from that amazing conversation? Yeah, and important as well to notice, to, to mention that he does it not necessarily because of what he's going to get out of it. It's it's the road itself, right? He likes just being in that moment, in that environment, figuring it out. That's what he enjoys day in, day out. And as he mentioned, it doesn't mean that every day is easy. It doesn't mean that he doesn't do things that, you know, sometimes he has to do stuff that he doesn't want to do. But, you know, all around, just, you know, growing as a person and putting himself in those situations, that's where he thrives and where he feels most happy right and that's in the end what his main goal was and then not happiness because he achieved something but happiness day to day in how he lives his life um technical speaking also a lot of good stuff focus on the why right we are uh, big advocates of that here in poker ambition as well but not only in solvers but also in terms of studying data i actually gave a webinar a week ago about pros and cons of working with population data and in there i say as well Look at the why. Don't just see a number and be like, okay, I'm going to overfold here. I'm going to underfold here. I'm going to overbluff here. But try to ask yourself, hey, why is this spot an overfolded spot? What do people do with their range that led to this spot? And if you figure that out, you can then be ahead. Hey, if that's true, then probably in this spot, they underfold or this spot, they overfold. And when you, when you understand that bigger concept, you can apply it in different spots, different games, because you understand how humans play poker, right? This is something that he also mentioned. And then he talked about natural hands versus unnatural hands. Unnatural is what the solver does. And natural is what humans tend to do. And in the end, we play against humans, right? He also touched on some good things about the paranoid exploitative, uh, the paranoia that often comes with exploitative play. I think... uh, he made some very good comments on that. So yeah, overall, very happy to have had him on. Uh, I think he was a great guest. And uh, for the people who are willing to learn something from it, I mean, there was there was so much in here that people can learn from. Don't you agree? I agree. I think there's lots of lessons to unpack. I can't wait to re-listen myself, go over and reflect on it. Cause I think there was a, a 
lot of really powerful concepts and also some things that were really simplified. Like one of the questions I asked him was, what was his definition of success? It's quite a hard question to answer, but his was be happy. And when you really stop and reflect on that, like it's such a, it's a nice way to simplify your life. Even when you're trying to achieve stuff, this is a high stakes poker player who's running a business that has 130 staircase. He's got all sorts going on that he could define as successful, but be happy was very clear. It's like what you've touched on with the Brazilians. They're very good at being happy. They can simplify mm -hmm. the success tree. The top of the success tree often is a happy person. So yeah, I think it's really refreshing to uh, see a player who uh, is achieving a lot, but he's also looking after himself and prioritizing his happiness over everything else. So yeah, really looking forward to uh, getting the feedback on this from you viewers, see what you've enjoyed, but also myself going back over the episode to, uh, to relearn some lessons. Yeah, after, after talking to him and learning everything about him, and as you mentioned, the character traits, it's no, no coincidence that he has reached the levels of success that he has, I'm sure. Many more success to come in this field, and as you mentioned, probably also is something else as, as he gets bored of this and that he moves on to something different. All right, I want to thank everyone for tuning in for this episode, and we will see you in the next one. Now, if you learned something in this episode, we would much appreciate it if you like and subscribe. Leave a comment with your main takeaways. Give us a five-star rating and follow the pod. This way we can reach more players and help them reach their big and ambitious poker goals. And if you want us to help you get to those goals, go over to pokerambition.com to find out more.